Hello everybody, Foggy Jack here, and you're listening to Foggy Jack's 13 or more Days of Christmas Special. Happy holidays everyone, and I hope you enjoy all of these old-time radio shows, always in the Christmas spirit. Do you like stories that keep you on the edge of your seat? Stories that make your heart race and your blood run cold? Stories that make you wonder what lurks in the shadows and what lies behind the door. If you do, then you will love Foggy Jack's Old Time Radio Show, the old-time horror radio show that brings you the most thrilling tales of mystery, suspense, and horror. Foggy Jack's Old Time Radio Show airs reruns of radio shows that aired from 1940 to 1960, featuring some of the best actors and writers of the golden age of radio. Every day, Foggy Jack's Old Time Radio Show presents a new story that will keep you guessing until the end, with twists and turns that will shock and surprise you. You will hear stories by masters of horror like Edgar Allan Poe, H.P. Lovecraft, Ray Bradbury, and more. You will also hear stories by famous authors like Agatha Christie, Ernest Hemingway, and John Steinbeck. And you will hear stories starring legendary actors like Orson Welles, Vincent Price, Boris Karloff, and many more. Foggy Jack's Old Time Radio Show is the ultimate podcast for fans of horror, suspense, and mystery. You can listen to Foggy Jack's Old Time Radio Show online for free, where you can find hundreds of episodes to choose from. You can also subscribe to this podcast, where you can get new episodes every week. Don't miss this opportunity to experience the scariest radio episodes of all time. Tune in to Foggy Jack's Old Time Radio Show, and remember, it's not what you see, it's what you hear. The Mary Lee Taylor Program. Brought to you by Pet Milk, America's first evaporated milk. Welcome to the Mary Lee Taylor Program with the story of the week about that lovable pair, Jim and Sally Carter, and from Mary Lee Taylor's friendly kitchen, the pet recipe of the week. Just six more days to get ready for Christmas, and getting ready for Christmas can be easier and more fun if you have Mary Lee Taylor's holiday recipes. So send for this new exciting recipe collection today, sure. Candies, cookies, party food, they're all in this one handy book. And it's as easy as this to get a copy. Just print your name and address and the words Holiday Recipes on a postcard and send the card to Mary Lee Taylor, care of this station, or to Pet Milk, St. Louis, Zone 1, Missouri. And now it's Mary Lee on NBC. Hello, this is Mary Lee Taylor. Happy, as always, to spend this half hour with you. Today's story about Jim and Sally Carter really began weeks ago when Sally left Midland against her father's wishes to join Jim in Capital City. Ever since then, there's been antagonism between Jim and Sally's father. And now that Christmas is coming, Sally faces a real problem. She longs to be home with her family, but she knows that without Jim, it couldn't be a happy Christmas for her. So Jim and Sally have their Christmas alone in that little apartment where there's hardly room for a Christmas tree? You'll have the answer to that in just a minute, Dale. But first... A promise that right after today's story, I'm going to tell you how to make the most delicious eggnog anyone could ask for. And with the recipe I'm going to give you, you can make a full quart for just about 48 cents. Say, that's going some. Do you know you have to pay around 27 cents for just half a pint of cream? Yes, and the only difference between our eggnog and the traditional eggnog is that this is made with pet milk in place of cream. 
Actually, when you make it with pet milk, you save more than a dollar a quart. And that's just one example of how pet milk saves you money and helps you to prepare party food as well as family meals that are extra delicious. So keep a stock of pet milk on hand all the time. Pet milk takes up such little room, stays so good and sweet in its sealed can, and costs so little. Less, in fact, than any other form of milk. Dell, hmm? do you really want to know how Jim and Sally Carter finally settled the Christmas problem? I certainly do. Then let's get along to Capital City and to today's chapter in the life of young wife Sally Carter. started back in November, when her mother, Martha Hayes, was visiting her in Capital City. Martha had come to see Sally's apartment, to see Sally, and especially to talk with Sally about the preparations for her first grandchild, expected in early spring. But, Sally, you can't mean that these are all the clothes you want for the baby. Except for the diapers, of course. I haven't bought those yet. Two dresses and not a single petticoat. People don't dress babies up the way they used to, Mom. Besides, somebody will probably give the baby a dress or two. Oh, I have a lot of baby clothes you children wore. I'm sure you can use some of them when you're home for Christmas. But, Mom, I don't think... Well, you can look them over. I had a dozen dresses for each of you. Good heavens. Times have certainly changed since you were babies. Goodness, I had to put the spinach and prunes through the strainer myself, cook the cereal in a double boiler for hours. Oh, didn't they have baby food in cans then? They were just starting to when Rich came along. But I had to prepare them for you. And I found time to dress you up every afternoon in a dress and a petticoat. You were the prettiest baby. Nobody takes all that trouble now. Too much ironing. I suppose. Uh, Kate Lorimer's at home now, and she brought her baby right in for the bridge club to see, wearing a little nightgown-looking thing. Mrs. Lorimer was embarrassed, I could <laughs> tell. I'll promise to put a dress on your grandchild for the bridge club ladies. Though babies are just as cute in their nightgowns. Babies are just like anybody else. They look better when they're dressed up. As I say, when you're home for Christmas, you can look them over. Mom, I, I'm afraid we won't be coming home for Christmas. Not coming home? Why, of course... Oh, Sally, you don't mean to say that little misunderstanding you and Jim had with your father is going to keep It you... was more than a little misunderstanding, Mom. It was, well, not quite cricket. Making me think Jim didn't want me to come to Capital City with him and making Jim think I didn't want to leave home. But he thought he was doing it for your own good, Sally. He was so sure you ought to stay at home until the baby arrived. I know, and I understand, but Dad had good intentions, and I'm not angry about it. Jim, well, Jim doesn't forget easily, you know. But my goodness, Christmas. I know, and I want to come. Jim, he loved our family Christmas last year, and I'm sure he'd be happy to be on friendly terms with Dad again. But maybe if Dad would write to him specially, sort of apologize... I'm afraid Dad will never do that. He'd like to make up with Jim, I know, but he's stubborn, too, and he thinks he was right. Now, if Jim would just give him an opening... It looks like an irresistible force and an immovable object. Well, I guess in this case, it's two immovable objects. And that would just spoil Christmas for everybody. I'm not so sure. It's only the middle of November. We've got six weeks yet. I'm not giving up. I don't see what you can do with me, either. Well, I... I have a little method I've used once in a while. I don't try it often, and it doesn't 
Uncle Bob or Jim would get off his high horse. But for Christmas, and if you think there's any chance to... Well, what is your secret for changing a man's mind? Let's put these little clothes away first, and then I'll tell you what I think. returned to Midland, Sally's mother started her secret campaign on Sally's father early in December. She and Dan were going to a movie and had dropped 12-year-old Rich off at the Sunday school rooms. Movie will be out at 10 o'clock and we'll be here by 10.15, Rich. You listen for us. Oh, dear, you didn't hear a word I said. He always gets away before I'm through talking to him. <laughs> you always think of something to say to him after he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. I always feel that Christmas is almost here when they start practicing for the Sunday school play. Rich is going to be one of the three kings this year. I remember when I was one of the three kings in my mother's plush evening wrap. I haven't anything so splendid. Rich will have to wear that brocade robe Aunt Sophie gave you Christmas before last. Mm. Glad to have that thing put to some good use. Yeah. <laughs> you ashamed. It'll seem clear not having Sally at home for Christmas. Sally's always home for Christmas. Not this year, I'm afraid, after all that's happened. Nonsense. Nothing that's happened has anything to do with Christmas. Well, Jim thinks so. He's still a little, well, hurt with you. Besides, he thinks you're mad at them because Sally went to Capital City after all. Nonsense. He's a young, young idiot. You tell him we're expecting him? Sally knows that, of course, but Jim's proud, you know, and stubborn. And, as you said, young. Too young to be reasonable and broad-minded about the difference of opinion you and he have. I suppose so. It takes a mature mind to go more than halfway in a matter like this. I think Jim would meet any advance you made, but he just can't bring himself... Nonsense. You certainly told him... I'm afraid the invitation would have to come from you. But that's ridiculous. They know they're welcome. I'm not going to beg anybody to spend Christmas with us, not even Sally. Certainly not. I wouldn't expect it of you. Of course, if you just apologize a little for trying to keep Sally here... Apologize? I will not. I was right. Sally should have stayed here. They don't agree on that point, of course, but you wouldn't even have to exactly apologize. Just let them know you understand how they feel. Maybe if we drive up to Capital City and get them... Uh, Sally knows I'll be glad to go for them any time they ask me to. They'll never ask you to. Oh, dear, I wish young people weren't so stubborn. I know if you were in Jim's position, you wouldn't spoil everybody's Christmas by being so stiff-necked. I'm thankful I haven't got a stubborn husband. And in Capital City, Sally chose a present-wrapping session in which to ease into her campaign on Jim. Golly, Jim, you're a wonderful wrapper-upper. They look beautiful. Oh, is this all? It doesn't look like many presents. Heavens no, it's all I've bought, though. I still have most of them to buy. Hey, and you better get on your horse. There can't be many more Estes till see. <laughs> I know. I try all sorts of schemes to fool myself into shopping early, but nothing works. Sometimes I pretend Christmas is the 25th of November. <laughs> no wonder you can't sell yourself that one. Or that my relatives are all missionaries in China, and the packages have to be mailed in time. Uh, did you ever just try thinking of the crowds in the stores in December? <laughs> well, the trouble is, I kind of like the Christmas crowds. Mm-hmm. They're fun. Oh, darling, wrap this last one in blue and silver, will you? Golly, your packages are neat. Oh, I'm a neat guy. Jim... Shall we have a Christmas tree? 
here. Where else? This is where we'll be, isn't it? Sure. Well, it just seems like a queer place to have a tree. But, well, sure, let's have one. Uh, Maybe we could have some of the other tenants in. Maybe, but they all seem to be going someplace. Even the landlady. She and Spuds are going to visit relatives in Joplin. We'll go to the theater or something. The folks would like to have us at home. Oh? Your father hasn't said so? Mom has. That's different. He's the one who's sore at me. I'm not going there as long as he acts like I'd kidnapped you. Especially when he hasn't asked me. I know. I don't blame you. He was wrong and he ought to apologize. But I'm afraid he never will. He thinks he was right. And he's pretty stubborn. You can say that again. And besides, Dad's getting old. And you know how old people are. Not broad-minded enough to give in, even a little bit. He'd really love for us to be there, Jim. And if you just indicate that you'd like to make up... Oh, now, wait a minute. I wasn't the one... Oh, I don't expect you to make the first move, darling. You were right and Dad was wrong. I'm sure if you were in Dad's place, you wouldn't be silly enough to cut off your nose to spite your face like he's doing. Thank goodness you're not stubborn. Thus, Sally and her mother started things off, and they kept at it all through December. Slowly, pleasantly, gradually, never, never nagging, just when the occasion presented itself. For instance... In Midland. I must send Sally and Jim's Christmas stockings to them. They might as well have them to hang in Capital City. If Jim weren't so pig-headed. And a little later... Well, I won't make nearly as many Christmas cookies this year with Jim not here. (laughs) Honestly, the way he ate those cookies... It's too bad. Just pure stubbornness. Until at long last, just before Christmas, Dan asked, if Santa Claus should ask you what you want most for Christmas, what would you say? I guess it's silly of me, Dan, but I'd rather have Sally and Jim here with us than anything else in the world. I know as well as anything I can't. Yes, you can. I've arranged to be away from the bank tomorrow and the next day. The car's full of gas, so let's leave early in the morning for Capital City. We'll bring those kids home. Oh, Dan, Dan, that's wonderful. Thank goodness I'm not stubborn enough to stand in the way of everybody's fun. And in Capital City, Sally had been doing her part until at last. Even in my own place, I'm not going to do it, baby. Here. Merry Christmas, darling. Jim, what in the world? Jim, tickets, railroad tickets to Midland. Oh, Jim, you're an angel. Hey, wait a minute. Don't knock me down. (laughs) (laughs) 
Now, I'm no angel, but I'm not stubborn or unreasonable, I'm glad to say. Of course you are. You're the most wonderful, thoughtful... Goodness, just at dinner time. See who it is, will you, darling? Uh, sure, but I'm not... I'm, I'm hungry. I hope this isn't Nobody's angry at anybody anymore. In time for Christmas. But, Mom, I felt a little funny all along, telling Jim over and over again how broad-minded and reasonable he is. Well, you were just telling him how big he was, and it turned out he was, didn't it? I guess so, in the same way with Dad. The truth of the matter is, they're really wonderful, both of them. Of course. They just have to be reminded of it once in a while. That's all. Oh, Mom... I'm so happy I could pop. I'll be home for Christmas. So that's the way women change a man's mind, huh? I'm going to have to watch myself... But, of course, there's one thing nobody can change my mind about, and that's pet milk. Money-saving pet milk. Double rich in all the wonderful protective food substances of whole milk and extra rich, too, in vitamin D, the sunshine vitamin. Dale, could you stop talking about pet milk for a second and drink a toast with me? Nope, my mind's made up. I always say... Uh, what'd you say? <laughs> drink a toast? Well, the only thing is you can't drink a toast unless you have something to drink. And the pet milk eggnog is right there in the refrigerator. So... If you'll bring it here. That I will. Uh, kind of early in the day to be eggnogging, but uh, you'll never catch me passing up a chance to have a glass of pet milk eggnog with you, Mary Lee Taylor. Fine. Now, I'll pour some eggnog in this glass for you. And in this one, for me. And we'll drink a toast. 
to all our NBC radio friends with the hope that next Saturday will be one of the happiest Christmases you've ever had and that those you love most will be with you on that day. I'm happy to drink that toast, Mary Lee, but uh, after all, we'll be right here again next Saturday morning, Christmas morning, and <laughs> yes, I... Yes, uh... I know. And it is a little early to be saying Merry Christmas, but I don't mind saying it twice. Besides, Christmas morning is such a special time, we're going to have a special program. No story about Jim and Sally. No story? And no recipe. No recipe? Just a half hour that says Merry Christmas in the way I think our radio friends will like it best. With a few favorite carols and a lot of deep-down sentiment. And may I add the hope that sometime Christmas Day, you'll all say Merry Christmas with Mary Lee Taylor's Pet Milk Eggnog. No fooling. One taste and you'll say, can't get enough of that wonderful stuff. <laughs> it is delicious eggnog, if I do say so myself. Mm-hmm. And it's a good idea to have always have plenty of pet milk eggnog in your refrigerator all during the holiday season so that you can serve this holiday favorite to friends and neighbors who drop in. You bet that's a good idea. And uh, what, I wonder, would Mary Lee Taylor serve with that eggnog? Well, I'd certainly have several plates of Christmas cookies within reaching distance. Good homemade cookies, hmm? Mm-hmm. Some of those nice, thin sugar cookies? Yes, and some of the coconut kisses we had last Saturday. Mm-hmm. The kind of kisses you don't have to stand under the mistletoe to get. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd also have thin, tempting slices of quick fruitcake. Remember our special fruitcake, Dale? Made with vanilla wafers? How could I forget? It was terrific. And along with that eggnog, I'd also have a dish of homemade candy. And just think, the easy recipes for all those good holiday things are in the booklet Holiday Recipes, which is yours for the asking. Oh, but excuse me, Mary Lee, I guess I interrupted as usual, huh? Well, I was going to add something salty to that lineup of serve-yourself foods, salted nuts, perhaps, and tiny cheese crackers. Now you're talking. After all, we don't want to go overboard on the sweet stuff. But golly, I could sure go overboard for that pet milk eggnog. So how about giving the recipe, Mary Lee? All set, Del. And remember, you can make pet milk eggnog, wonderful, rich-tasting eggnog, for just about 48 cents a quart. And all you need to make it are seven simple, everyday ingredients. Eggs, sugar, salt, vanilla, pet milk, water, and nutmeg. Whoops, wait a minute now. Hold on. I've got to write this down. Uh, What comes first now? Well, first, you beat, until light and fluffy, three eggs. Okay. Beat until light and fluffy, three eggs. Um, I take it you mean three whole eggs, yolks and whites, too? That's right. Then you beat in slowly. Beat in slowly. All right. Uh, What do I beat in slowly? One-fourth cup of sugar and one-eighth teaspoon of salt. Just a minute now. Uh, One-fourth cup sugar and one-eighth teaspoon salt. Yeah, I've got that. What next? Next, beat in one-and-one-half tablespoons of vanilla. Beat in one-and-one-half tablespoons Vanilla. A lot of beating going on here, but you just can't beat the eggnog made with this recipe. <laughs> What's the next direction, ma'am? Stir in a mixture of... Stir in a mixture of... Uh, what, Mary Lee? Two cups of pet milk and one cup of water. Two cups 
pet milk and one cup water. That's the best part of the recipe, sure enough. Finally, sprinkle with one half teaspoon of nutmeg. Sprinkle with one half teaspoon nutmeg. And call your guest to come and get it. <laughs> no, not quite, Del. The eggnog should be chilled well before it's served. No, I should have known that. And the recipe I've just given makes about one quart of pet milk eggnog. At a cost of just about 48 cents. You know, Mary Lee, there's just one thing that you've forgotten. Forgotten? Mm-hmm. Hmm, no, Del, I, I haven't forgotten anything. You're sure, huh? Seems to me I've heard rumors that some people like something besides vanilla in an eggnog. <laughs> oh. oh, I see what you mean. Well, in that case, in place of the one and one half tablespoons of vanilla, you would add <clears throat> you would add one half cup of sherry or other alcoholic flavoring to the one quart of pet milk eggnog. I see. Well, now there's one other thing I'd like to know, Mary Lee. Sometimes I've had eggnog with kind of a, a frothy topping. You know what I mean? Sort of a bubbly foam with the specks of nutmeg sailing around on it. And I just wondered... How to accomplish that? Uh-huh. It's very easy. If you like eggnog with a fluffy topping, separate the eggs and just mix the beaten yolks with the other ingredients and save the whites until later. Then, when you're ready to serve the eggnog, and not before, fold in the stiffly beaten egg whites. Oh, one of those last-minute jobs, huh? Mm-hmm. And by the way, egg whites fluff up more, have more volume if they're beaten at room temperature. So take the egg whites from the refrigerator in time to let them warm up to room temperature before you beat them. Well, Mary Lee, you said something about uh, keeping plenty of eggnog in the refrigerator for drop-in guests. That means you can make it ahead of time, all except uh, folding in the egg whites? Yes, and if you make your pet milk eggnog according to today's recipe, mixing the yolks and whites right in with the eggnog, you can make it completely ahead of time. In fact, eggnog is really better if it's made the day before you plan to serve it. No fooling. Yes, chilling it overnight or for several hours before serving actually improves the flavor. But be sure to stir it well from the bottom just before serving. And be sure to make your eggnog the Mary Lee Taylor way with wonderful money-saving pet milk. The big reason, you know, why you can make delicious, rich-tasting eggnog with pet milk is that pet milk isn't like ordinary milk. No siree. Pet milk is good, sweet, whole milk concentrated to double richness. You can actually see that double richness when you pour the pet milk from the can. And you can taste that double richness when you drink Mary Lee Taylor's eggnog. You really love it. And don't hesitate to serve eggnog at your holiday parties just because you don't have a punch bowl. Any big mixing bowl filled with eggnog and completely surrounded by a ring of fresh evergreen boughs looks beautiful enough for any party. She's all right, isn't she? Always has an answer for everything. Yes, and she even has a book that gives the answers about training a baby and making it easy for you to care for your baby. That's a fact. It's a beautiful 64-page book it's illustrated, and it's packed with the kind of information your own doctor would want you to have. Want a copy? It's easy enough to get. All you do is send a postcard with your name and address and the words Baby Book to Mary Lee Taylor, care of this station, or to Pet Milk, St. Louis, Zone 1, Missouri. Or let one postcard do the work of two and ask for the holiday recipes and the baby book on the same card. And you can get other Mary Lee Taylor money-saving ideas if you'll help yourself to one of the handy take-home recipe folders featured in your favorite grocery store, along with the pet milk display. 
Oh, but here, here, here. We're talking too much about P.E.T. milk, and I know you want to hear the recipe for happiness that Mary Lee has for you today. And you will hear it in just a minute. But first, I hope that you will tune in to this NBC station next Saturday morning for our very special Christmas program. I know you'll enjoy it. And I know, too, you'll enjoy hearing Vic Damone tonight on the Pet Milk Nighttime Show with the Serenaders and Gus Henson's Pet Milk Orchestra. So be listening along with us tonight, won't you? And now, today's recipe for happiness. Money can buy much for the body. A few things for the mind, but nothing at all for the heart and soul. And now until Christmas morning, this is Mary Lee Taylor saying goodbye and happy homemaking. Goodbye, Mary Lee Taylor, and good luck and good health to all of you from Pet Milk. Pet Milk is the all-family, all-purpose milk that has been a favorite in millions of homes for more than three generations. Today's story was written by Jane Spencer and directed by Al Chance. Del King speaking. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. The Mutual Broadcasting System, in cooperation with Family Theater Incorporated, presents transcribed A Daddy for Christmas, starring Pat O'Brien, Linda Johnson, and Bobby Driscoll. Shirley Temple is your hostess. More things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. When I was a little girl, I once received a doll for Christmas. It wasn't very expensive, nor even the prettiest doll in my collection. But I kept that doll and cherished it long after my other Christmas toys had disappeared. It came from someone I loved. Someone who loved me, too. No matter how high the gifts are piled, any Christmas tree is bare which doesn't have love around it. That's why it's so important for us to make our homes places of love. Not just Christmas Day, but every day of the year. And one thing is certain. Love is always present in the home where daily family prayer is a practice. Family prayer will bring love and goodness and understanding. The best Christmas gifts any family can receive. Shirley Temple will speak again following our family theater play, A Daddy for Christmas, starring Pat O'Brien, Bobby Driscoll, and Linda Johnson. People look on Christmas as a special occasion. With me, well, I guess it's what my little Stevie would call extra special. As long as I live, Christmas will be extra special for me now. But in early December last year, when I took Stevie to the toy department of Weber's department store, I had no idea, to quote Stevie again, how extra, extra special that Christmas was going to be. Look, Mommy, look! That glass ball's got real snow in it. And look, there's a reindeer. And there's Santa Claus. Mommy, do you think Santa will talk to me? But you just talked to the Santa across the, uh, when he was across the street. I forgot to tell him something. I think you asked for everything in the store. 
but okay. This is your picnic. As soon as that little girl gets through. Now, Santa Claus. Well, 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 well. What a nice little boy. Come here and tell Santa what you want for Christmas. You know. Huh? I'm Stephen Hunt. You know what I want. Uh, Santa, you took his list when you were across the street in Wilson's department store? Oh, oh, yes, yes, that's right. I remember you now. I was getting you all mixed up with another nice little boy I know. Mommy calls me a little scamp. Oh, 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 but you're a nice little scamp. I'll tell you what, son. I I left my notebook across the street. So, uh, how about you giving me that list of all the things all over again? First, uh, what's your address? Stephen Hunt, 2228 Elm Street. All right, Stephen. Now, what do you want for Christmas? Well, I want the sled. Mm-hmm. The bicycle. With two wheels? With three wheels. Oh, that's a tricycle. I don't want a tricycle. I want a bicycle. With three wheels? Uh-huh. Mm. One bicycle with three wheels. I got it. And I want a scooter, a pony, a wagon, and I want a daddy. A daddy? His daddy didn't come back from the war. I don't think Stevie remembers him, but... But all his friends have daddies. And I want a daddy, too. <laughs> I'm afraid a daddy is a little out of Santa Claus's line, darling. <clears throat> well, uh, <clears throat> son, let's uh, let's check that address again. Stephen Hunt, twenty. Stephen Hunt, twenty-two twenty-eight Elm Street. It was a lonely Christmas Eve for Stevie and me. Christmas away from my folks and my late husband was just a bit hard to take. But my job as secretary in a lawyer's office didn't allow me time for a trip home. Stevie and I lived in a made-over two-room apartment in one corner of a family dwelling with an entrance off the driveway. Mrs. Ross and my landlady, who took care of Stevie when I was at work, was visiting her daughter's family that evening and over Christmas Day. Stevie and I were alone. Stevie kept rearranging the few wrapped packages at the foot of our little Christmas tree. All right, Stevie, off to bed. I said to bed, not to the window. I'm looking for Santa Claus. Now get to bed. Santa will come after you're asleep. There he is now. There who is? There's Santa Claus. He's coming up the drive with a great big bag. What? Here he comes. Here he comes. Stevie, what on earth? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Santa Claus. Santa Claus. I told Mommy it was you. What'd you bring me? It is Santa Claus. Well, please, lady, uh, don't tell me you don't believe in Santa Claus. I, I'll believe anything now. What'd you bring me? What'd you bring me? Well, now, wait. Let me put my bag down first. Oh, what are you doing here? Well, I was just flying by a marine deer, my sleigh, when I saw what a nice Christmas tree you had and decided to drop in. Well, I couldn't find a chimney on this side of the house, so I decided to use the door. Where's your reindeer? Hmm? Uh, oh, oh, my reindeer. Oh, I sent them back to the North Pole to pick up some more toys. What'd you bring me? Well, let's open my bag here. See what we got for Stephen. Well, bicycle with three wheels. Oh, Mommy, look. Santa Claus remembered. Can I ride it? Can I? It's got a bell. It's got a bell. Mommy, Mommy, what's the matter? Nothing, honey. I'm just happy because... because Santa Claus remembers... He's really asleep now. That uh, Santa suit must be awfully hot. 
Would you like to take it off? I'll say. Uh, there. Uh, now the beard. Oh, that feels better. <gasps> Why, you, you... What's the matter? You're a young man. Is that bad? No, but... But I just thought Santa Claus was older. I, I mean... You mean you thought Santa Claus was older? Well, I hope you're not disappointed. My, my name's Joe Regan. Pleased to meet you, Mr. Regan. Won't you... Joe. 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 Won't you please sit down? Ah, thanks. Ah. Now, tell me, why did you do this? Not that I don't appreciate it, Oh, but... I had to. After all, I'm Santa Claus. And the swell little kid with a pretty and nice-acting mother comes up to me and says, Santa, I want a bicycle with three wheels. Well, what kind of a Santa Claus would I be if I didn't come through? But why, why Stevie? There must have been thousands of boys and girls who ask you for presents. Why, Stevie? Well, maybe it's because he asked for something different. He said he wanted a daddy for Christmas. Oh, no. That's going too far, Joe. I, I mean, Mr. Regan. Oh, no, don't get me wrong. I, I'm afraid Stevie won't get his daddy for Christmas. Uh, maybe by Easter? You, you don't think... Oh, no, of course not, but already I, I like you a good deal. Well, I like you too, but... We sound like a couple of kids. A couple of nice kids, I'll have you know. <laughs> Joe, you're crazy. You're the most audacious, the most... Oh, you're very nice, Joe, but that tricycle must have cost a lot of money. You'll have to return it. I won't take that bicycle with three wheels away from Stevie. You do it. Oh, oh no, I couldn't. He already loves it. He... All right, you win. He keeps the tricycle. One round for Joe Regan. But about that daddy business, uh-uh, that's out. But it wasn't out. Joe kept coming around, sometimes to see me and sometimes to take Stevie, who adored him for an outing. We were married shortly before Easter, and we were lucky. We found a little furnished house in a nice section of the city, and I talked Joe into quitting the job he had in a furniture factory, where he did a lot of manual labor, into taking a sales position with the Jensen Hardware Company. Strangely, Joe balked at this and insisted he preferred working with his hands but he finally gave in. After all, the new job held something of a future. The best part of it all was, for the first time in his war-born life, Stevie began to know what a home was. Strike three! You're out! I am not. That was a foul tip. You're out! You're out! All right, we'll have to ask the umpire. Jimmy, wasn't that a foul tip? Uh-uh. You struck out. One, two, three, you're out. Oh, well, you kids are ganging up on me. It's my bat. Stevie! 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 Hear that, Stevie? I'm not a bat first. No, no, can't keep Mother waiting. Last one of the house is the monkey's uncle. So long, Jimmy. So long. See you in the morning. Hey, you got a head start. <laughs> I beat, I beat. You're a monkey's uncle. Hello, Mommy. Daddy's a monkey's uncle. <laughs> Hello, darling. My, you're getting harder to pick up every day. Well, how about it? Doesn't the monkey's uncle get a kiss? Ah, better. Sometimes it was like having two little boys around the house. But what mother objects to that? There were other times, however, when Joe was more than a little boy to me. Much more. Honey, 
Why did you marry me? What? Why did you marry me? Well, how can you ask a question like that? Well, I guess, well, when I used to pester you about it, I used to tell you Stevie needed a father, and that was my main sales talk. Joe, I married you because I love you. I need you. You should know that. Oh, yes, of course. But the way you dote on that kid, well... Joe, I love you so much. I, I guess I did almost from the start. When I was Santa Claus? Oh, no, silly. Well, that's when I fell in love with you. Just as soon as Stevie told me he wanted a daddy and I looked at you realizing I had a chance. You looked like everything I wanted. And when I got to know you, you were everything I wanted. Joe was everything I wanted. At least that's what I thought until late one afternoon in August. Hello, Mary. What's the matter? Joe, the lights won't go on. They're on next door, and I checked the fuses. Joe, you didn't forget to pay the bill. I'm afraid I did forget, honey. I, I didn't have anything to pay it with. I thought they gave you a second notice. But, Joe, we budgeted. Why didn't you have anything? I was fired last Thursday. The boss didn't think that you I... You haven't been working a week and you didn't tell me. I'm sorry, honey. I didn't want to worry you. But you've been leaving the house the same time every morning. I didn't want you to know until I got something new. You seemed to take it for granted I was doing so well. I just didn't want to worry you, that's all. <laughs> no, don't do anything to worry me. Just have the light company turn off our lights without notice. I'll have them on again tomorrow. But how? I said I'd have them on tomorrow and that's enough. Don't speak to me like that. Well, stop putting me through a third degree. Now I suppose you want to know why I got fired. Well, it's because I'm a lousy salesman, that's why. You're the only one who thinks I'm a, a personality kid. Don't worry, Joe. You'll get something better, something with a real future. And about the bill, I've got some money saved. I said I'd pay that bill. He paid the bill, all right, by pawning two pieces of his very fine leather luggage. That was our first quarrel. A couple of weeks later, Joe was in the yard cutting the lawn when Stevie came home from school. Hi, Stevie. High school. It's fun, but, Daddy, all the kids have cowboy boots. Can I have them? Well, uh, let me see. Let me think about that a little, Stevie. No. No, we might as well start in being frank about these things right now. Come here, son. Jimmy's got cowboy boots with red and yellow. Stevie, I want you to listen to me. There are times when our family doesn't have much money and we have to get along without some of the things we'd like to have. Some other times we'll have a little extra money and get some of those extra things. Then I can't have those cowboy boots? I'm afraid not, fella. Not right now. Yes, you will, honey. We'll go downtown and get you some cowboy boots Saturday. Mary, I didn't know that I'm she... going to get some boots. I'm going to get some boots. I'm going to go tell Jimmy. You shouldn't have told him he'd get those boots just after I said we couldn't afford it. All the other youngsters are wearing them, and I don't want him to know we can't afford it. You've got to learn sometime. Well, there are things we can't have just for the asking. Well, he's too young to learn now. All right. But how can we pay for them out of my unemployment money? I, I got a little money from my folks this week. They, they sent it to help outfit Stevie for school. Oh, I didn't know. <laughs> The way his shoulders drooped when he turned for me to walk into the house. I wanted to run after him and cradle his head in my arms like I do my other little boy when he's hurt. But I didn't. Weeks passed and Joe couldn't seem to find a job. 
At least not the kind I wanted him to have. But, Mary, every time I think I can get a job, you say it isn't suitable. What do you want to live like anyway? Joe, it's not me I'm thinking of. I just want to be sure Stevie gets all the things he needs. I see. I'll keep looking for the career job so Stevie can get all the things you think he needs. He tried, but that was all. Finally, I spoke to Mr. Emerson, and he offered me my job back. I thought Joe would raise the roof, but... So you're going back to work, huh? Just until you get something good again. Oh, I guess that's best. No need for Stevie to do without things because I can't provide them. That's all he said. Somehow I'd have felt better if he'd objected. Even insisted I didn't take the job. So I returned to work for the first time since we were married. The third evening after work when I came home, the house was strangely quiet. Joe! Joe! <laughs> Stevie! Stevie, honey, what's the matter? Oh, Daddy, Daddy! What about Daddy? He went away to go his sleep. Oh, no. No, Stevie. Honey, did, did he leave anything? Uh, a letter for Mommy? Oh, here it is on the table. Dearest Mary... I know you'll think I'm a quitter and despise me for leaving this way. But it's going to be hard enough saying goodbye to Stevie. And I'm afraid you might change my mind. And we'd all be worse off. I can't stay. Can't marry because I can't be the things you want your husband and Stevie's father to be. I'll never do big things. In fact, I don't especially want to. I don't want to be anything more than just... An ordinary guy. Bus driver, a mechanic, something like that. That's the whole story. Goodbye and good luck. And if by some strange chance I do get ahead, I'll try to make up for this. I promise. I love you always. Joe. That's how Joe walked out of our lives, less than ten months after he had entered. At first, I didn't see how I could bear it. But life must go on. And then, of course, there was Stevie. I've written all Joe's relatives, all his friends. They haven't heard from him either. Poor Stevie. He's tried to keep up a brave front. But many times at night, I hear him crying himself to sleep. Sometimes, at first, I cried in bed, too. Then I started telling myself, at least this way, Stevie won't grow up under the influence of a father utterly lacking in ambition. And I got some satisfaction in knowing that when Jimmy Webster got a fur-lined aviator cap, my boy got a fur-lined aviator cap, too. That is, I did until last Saturday, when Jimmy came over to our house. You make swell cookies, Mrs. Regan. Thank you, Jimmy. You'll get some as soon as they're finished. When's Mr. Regan coming back? Uh, I, I don't know. Jimmy, does Stevie talk about him much? No. He don't talk about him at all. I wish he was my dad. Jimmy! I guess that's wrong, but... Mr. Regan always played with us kids. Showed us how to throw a ball. Right way to hold a bat. Things like that. 
My dad hardly even talks to me. I don't think he even likes me. Oh, your daddy loves you. Well, why do you suppose he's always getting you all those nice presents and those swell clothes? If he loves me, why doesn't he act like Mr. Regan? Jimmy, you've got to love your own father. If he doesn't seem to pay enough attention to you, remember he's a very important man and he has to keep busy. I wish Mr. Regan was home. He's like the only dad I ever had. It was then I finally realized the terrible thing I had done to my Stevie and to Joe. And I'd had the nerve to nag him for not giving Stevie the things a father should. I'd even held up Jimmy's father as an example. Poor Joe. He must be feeling lonely, too. I suppose he was a department store Santa Claus again this year. Somewhere. Wonder what he's doing tonight. Christmas Eve. I could almost scream the way Stevie keeps looking out the window. Stevie, don't you think it's time you went to bed? Just a little longer, Mommy. Maybe Santa Claus will still come. What can I say? Oh, Joe. Joe, if I could only reach you now to tell you I've learned my lesson. I don't care if we're ever rich. What kind of work you do... What counts is you're good for me and Stevie. What counts is you, you, and Joe. Joe, it's Christmas. Do you think Santa will come, Mom? I hope so, Stevie. I hope so. But if he were going to, he'd be here by now. It would be like Joe to come back tonight for Stevie. Maybe if he comes back for Stevie, I can get him to stay for me. Oh, Joe. Mommy, what's the matter? Nothing, honey. Nothing at all. Okay, it's off to bed with you. Are you crying because Santa Claus didn't come? Never mind. Time. I'll get it. Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! Don, I knew you'd come. I knew it. It's Santa Claus! Santa Claus! Oh, watch it, my beard. Santa Claus's whiskers are coming off. It's Daddy. Daddy, Daddy. Hello, son. Mommy, Daddy Santa Claus. Yes, dear. Daddy Santa Claus. You're back to stay, aren't you, Joe? Yes, I'm back. And, Mary, I'm sorry I left the way I did. I was a coward. From now on, I'll try to be the kind of a guy you want. No, dear. From now on, just be yourself. That's the kind of guy I want. Oh, Mary... Oh, enough of this mush stuff. i got to go about my business. Stevie been a good boy? Perfect. Just like his daddy. Well, that's too bad. Well, let's see what we got here. Ooh, a racer with big rubber tires. Thank you, Santa. Daddy? Daddy? What is it, fella? I know where you've been. You do? You've been up at the North Pole making toys. You know, I couldn't have thought of a better explanation. That's the only one I ever want to hear. Temple again. You know, poets often have the gift of expressing our feelings far better than we can ourselves. Here is a poem I think you'll like. 
It's called The Flight of Prayer. Who knows what wonders happen when we pray, what forces stir, what golden blessings run toward us on glad feet each time we say, in all sincerity, Thy will be done. We cannot follow with our mortal sight the flight of prayer. We cannot hope to chart its secret course. But suddenly a light dawns and the weight is lifted from our heart. For prayer has powers that we know not of to heal and comfort, to provide and bless. All the resources of eternal love move to sustain us in the hour of stress, closing us safely round with life and power in even the darkest and most urgent hour. Thank you for being with us, and God bless you. Thanks to Pat O'Brien, Linda Johnson, and Bobby Driscoll for their fine performances, and to Jack Lyman for writing our play. Max Tare scored and conducted the music. This transcribed production of Family Theater Incorporated was directed by David Young. Next week, our Family Theater star will be Margaret O'Brien in Blessed Are They. Your host will be Dick Hames. This series of the Family Theater broadcasts is made possible by the thousands of you who felt the need for this kind of program and by the mutual broadcasting system which has responded to this need. Be with us next week at this same time when Margaret O'Brien and Dick Hames will star on Family Theater. Tony Lofrano speaking. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. For a magician who can amaze and entertain your family and friends? Do you want to experience a show that is full of magic, mystery, humor, danger, illusions and escapes? If you do, then you need to hire Foggy Jack, the shock, bizarre mental mentalist. Foggy Jack is a professional magician who specializes in mentalism, oddity, and more. He can read your mind, escape shackles before your eyes, make objects disappear and reappear, and perform other incredible feats that will leave you speechless. Foggy Jack has performed all over the country, and specializes in expos, fairs, festivals and haunted houses. He has also appeared on TV, radio, and podcasts, where he showcases his skills and personality. Foggy Jack is not your ordinary magician. He is what you think of when you think of the word odd. He is a storyteller who takes you on a journey into his captivating world of Foggy Jack. He combines his talents with comedy, music, and props to create a show that is unique and unforgettable. He will make you laugh, gasp, and wonder how he does it. Don't miss this opportunity to hire Foggy Jack for your next event. He will make it a memorable one that your guests will talk about for years to come. To book Foggy Jack, visit his website or his Facebook page. You can also watch some of his videos on YouTube to see him in action. Foggy Jack is the magician you need to make your event a success. Contact him today and get ready to be amazed. And remember, he truly is mental. Lux presents Hollywood. Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, bring you the Lux Radio Theater, starring James Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore in It's a Wonderful Life. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, 
Mr. William Keeley. <laughs> Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight we bring you one of the season's most inspiring hits, a Liberty Films production that's been nominated for the highest screen award. Yes, it's a wonderful life. And we present it now with its original fine stars, Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed. Jimmy in the role which won him a nomination for the best performance of the year. Also in our cast is starred that fine comedian, Victor Moore. It's a Wonderful Life is the drama of a typical American. Might be you, it might be me. He dreams of glory, he lives in hope, he loves and doubts, uh, and only providence puts a final value on his service to humanity. Our story starts before the war, when life was normal. Shortages were generally unknown, and simple luxuries like Lux Soap were abundant. I won't say that's the only reason people said it's a wonderful life. But I do know from the thousands of letters in our files that most of them said it's a wonderful soap. And they keep right on saying it day after day. In fact, the popularity of Lux Soap is what makes it possible to present such entertainment as Frank Capra's great production, It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart as George, Donna Reed as Mary Hatch, and Victor Moore as Clarence. This is the story of George Bailey, citizen of Bedford Falls, New York. George Bailey, who more than anything under the sun, wanted to see the world. The wonderful, exciting world that lay somewhere beyond the limits of his hometown. Oddly enough, this story does not begin in Bedford Falls. In fact, it doesn't begin anywhere in the world. It begins in heaven where the superintendent of angels has just summoned an apprentice angel named Clarence. Oh, I, I'm really going down to Earth, sir? Oh, how splendid. Yes. There's a very discouraged man down there, Clarence. George Bailey. At exactly 10.45 p.m., Earth time, he'll be thinking seriously of ending his life. Oh, dear, dear, his life. Now, I want you to stop him if you can. Now, sit down, sit down. I'll give you Bailey's case history. Sir, if, uh, if I should accomplish my mission, may I perhaps get my wings? I've been waiting over 200 years now, and, well, people are beginning to talk. Clarence, what's that book? The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, sir. I was reading it when you sent for me. Oh, fine book, excellent. Well, you do a good job on George Bailey, and we'll see about your wing. Oh, thank you, sir. Now, listen. When George Bailey was a boy, two events occurred that you should keep in mind. One was when his young brother, Harry, fell through the ice and almost drowned. George saved him. Brother fell through the ice. George saved him. Ever since, George's had a bad ear. All that icy water, you understand. Yeah, bad ear, yes, sir. The other event came a few months later. George used to work after school in Mr. Gower's drugstore. One day, Mr. Gower's only son died of influenza. It was a terrible blow, and poor Mr. Gower tried to lose his grief in whiskey. 
Where have you been, George? Mrs. Blaine's called twice. What happened to her prescription? You lost it, didn't you? No, Mr. Gower. Here it is. Are you good for nothing? Don't you know that Blaine girl's very sick? Mr. Gower, my ear. You're hurting my sore ear. teach you to loaf, you lazy brat. Mr. Gower, you don't know what you're doing. You put something wrong in those capsules. Shut up. Oh, I know you feel bad, but look, Mr. Gower, look. This bottle, you use this bottle to make up the capsules. It's poison. Don't hurt my sore again, Mr. Please. Gower. Oh, George. That's what you deliver, Mr. Gower. All I wanted was to make sure. George, George. Well, Clarence, that was George Bailey as a boy. When he grew up, he wanted to go to college, but there just wasn't the money. So he worked four years in the Building and Loan Association. Building and Loan Association? Oh, I forgot to tell you. George's father was in the building and loan business. He and George's uncle, Billy. High ideals and low bank account. Anyway, George worked for his father and saved enough to see him through the university. That summer, though, he was going to Europe. Got a job on a cattle boat. Do a little traveling before college. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, it's hard to realize that my last night in the Bailey boarding house. We're sure going to miss you, George. Oh, I'm going to miss you too, Pop. Hey, what's the matter? You look tired. Oh, I had another tussle with old Henry Potter today. Well, I thought when you put him on the board of directors, he'd ease up. Well, so did I. I just can't understand a man like Mr. Potter. He can't begin to spend all the money I he has. I guess Potter owns about everything he wants in Bedford Falls except our building and loan. That's why he hates us. Hey, George, can I borrow your tuxedo studs? Yeah, help yourself, Harry. Well, where are they? In your suitcase? No, I'm not taking a tuxedo on a cattle boat, you know. Say, where'd you get that suitcase anyway? Oh, Mr. Gower, going away present. And one of these days, you're going to see that bag all covered with travel labels. Italy, Baghdad, Samarkand. Going to have a pretty full summer, eh? I'm going to have a pretty full life. Hey, why don't you come to the dance tonight? Why, I'd be bored to death. Well, you couldn't want a better death. Lots of pretty girls. Hey, I got a hurry. I wish we could send Harry to college with you, George. Oh, we've got that all figured out now, Pop. He'll take over my job at the building and loan and work four years like I did, and then he'll go. Well, he's pretty young for that job. Well, no younger than I was. <laughs> Maybe you were born older, George. Huh? George, when you get out of college, I don't suppose you'd come back to the building and loan. Oh, no, no, Pop, I, 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 I just couldn't. I, I couldn't face being cooped up the rest of my life in a shabby little office. I, I, oh, I'm sorry, Pop. Now, I, I didn't mean that, but it's just this business of nickels and dimes. I'd go crazy. I, I want to do something big, something important. Well, in a small way, we are doing something important, George. In that shabby little office, we help people figure out how they can own their own homes. I know, I know, Pop. I, I just wish I felt that I, I, I but I, I just feel like if I didn't get away, I'd bust. I... <laughs> You're right, boy. You get yourself an education, then get out of here. Oh, Pop, you... Pop, you want a shock? I think you're a pretty great guy. Well, thanks, George. I'm glad to hear it. Look, um, why don't you go on over to Harry's dance? You'd have a good time. Well, I don't know. Maybe it will drop in. Yeah, maybe it will at that. So, George Bailey went to a dance. Is that important, Joseph? Why, it was at the dance he met Mary Hatch. Oh. And three hours later, he was walking her home. George and Mary were feeling pretty good, Clarence. As a matter of fact, wonderful. Buffalo, girls, can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Buffalo, girls, can't you come out tonight? And dance by the light. 
long ago, boy, just like an organ. At least. <laughs> hey, you know, you know something? If it wasn't me talking, I'd say you were the prettiest girl in town. Well, why don't you say it? Well, I don't know. Maybe I will. Hey, how old are you anyway? Eighteen. Eighteen? Too young or too old? No, no, no. It's just right. It sort of fits you. Hey, hey look where we are. Hmm? Oh, the old Granville house. Yeah, i got to throw a rock. Oh, no, don't. I, I love that old house. Well, no, don't you know about deserted houses? You, you make a wish and then throw a rock. George, but it, it was such a lovely old place. I wish I lived there. In there? I wouldn't live in it as a ghost. Now, watch. Watch this. Here we go. How about it, huh? Pretty good shot, huh? Broke a window, huh? <laughs> What'd you wish, George? Oh, I don't know. Not just one wish, a whole hat full. Mary, I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet, and I'm going to see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. And then I'm coming back here and go to college and see what they know. And then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields and skyscrapers a hundred stories high and bridges a mile long. And then I'm going to... Hey. Hey, Mary. What is it you want? What do you want, huh? You want the moon? All you got to do is just say the word now. Okay. The moon, I'll take it. Then what? Then what? Well, well, then you could swallow it, and and it'd dissolve like an aspirin, you know. And the moonbeams would shoot out of your fingers and the ends of your hair, and the the. Uh, you you think I'm talking too much? Yes. Why don't you kiss her instead of talking her to death? How's that? Uh, youth is wasted on the wrong people. Why? Well, hey. hey, just a minute, Mister. Hey, you come back here. I'll show you some kissing George, if you want to. George. Hey, Uncle Billy, look here. I'm going to kiss Mary. Watch. George, get in the car quick. Your father's had a stroke. What? What? George, get in. Hurry. Well, George's father died that night, Clarence. So, of course, George couldn't go to Europe. But that fall, just as he was ready to leave for college, the directors of the building and loan had a meeting. They were going to appoint a successor to Mr. What was that you said, Mr. Potter? I said as long as Peter Bailey's dead, let's dissolve the building and loan. We don't need it. Now, wait a minute. Now, you wait a minute. Peter Bailey was not a businessman. Ideals without common sense can ruin a town. What do we get? A discontented, lazy rabble instead of a thrifty working class. Hold on, Mr. Potter. Hold on. I meant no disrespect, George, but... Now, wait a minute, Harry. Why my father ever started this cheap penny-ante building and loan, I'll never know. But just remember this, Mr. Potter, this rabble you're talking about, they do most of the working and the paying and living and dying in this community. Well, is it too much to have them work and pay and live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? Anyway, my father didn't think so. People were human beings to him. But to you, a warped, frustrated old man, they're cattle. Well, in my book, Mr. Potter, he died a much richer man than you'll ever be. I'm not interested in your book, George. I'm talking about the building and loan. You're talking about something you can't get your fingers on that's galling. That's what you're talking about. Well, this town needs this measly one-horse institution, if only to have some place where people can borrow a few dollars without crawling to you. Now, come on, Uncle Billy. What happened, George? Yeah, all we heard was a lot of yelling. Boy, oh, boy, you should have heard, George. Yeah, they're in there voting us out of business. Oh, who cares? I can get another job. I'm only 41. 45. Well, you get out of here, George. You missed your boat trip. Do you want to miss college, too? George, we've just voted Potter down. We're still in business. Whoopee! We're still in business! We're still in business! But there's one condition, George. They've appointed you to take your father's place. Appoint me? But I'm going to college. Look, this is my last chance. Uncle Billy's your man. Uh, George, you've got to take it. They'll vote with Potter otherwise. They said so. They even...
George Bailey didn't go to college. That's right, Terrence. He gave his, his college money to Harry. Harry went instead. But what happened to that good-looking girl, you know, Mary? Oh, George saw her now and then. Not very often, though, because Mary went away to school, too. Anyway, George waited four years more for Harry to come back and take over the building in Rome. He could still see the world. He planned to work in the oil fields, Venezuela. Except when Harry came home, he wasn't alone. There was a girl with him, his wife. George? Yeah, I'm out here on the porch, Mother. I just thought I'd get some air. Well, how, how do you like your new sister-in-law? Oh, she's swell. Looks like she can keep Harry on his toes. Yeah, yeah, I keep him out of Bedford Falls anyway. What do you mean? Well, Ruth's father, she's, he's got a wonderful job for Harry up in Buffalo. Buffalo? Well, that means you... Yeah. You can't... Yeah. George, uh, did you know Mary Hatch is back from school? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Nice girl, Mary. Mm-hmm. Oh, stop grunting. Mm-hmm. Give me one good reason why you shouldn't call on Mary. Well, Sam Wainwright. Sam's crazy about Mary. Well... She's not crazy about him. Well, now, how do you know that? Did she discuss it with you? How do you... Besides, Sam's away in New York. Oh, and all's fair in love and war. Uh-huh, I see. Okay, Mother, I think I'll go out and find that girl and do a little passionate necking. Oh, George. Goodbye, Miss Bailey. By the way, do you want any books at the library? Library? George! George, you go and see Mary. Do you hear? Oh, oh, hello, Mary. Well, are you coming in? I just happened to be passing by here. Oh, I thought you were picketing. Have you made up your mind? How's that? Have you made up your mind? About what? About coming in. Your mother just phoned. She said you were coming over. My mother just phoned. What does she mean, Carla? I I just happened to be passing by, that's all. I didn't... Well... Well, I'll come in for a minute, but I, I didn't tell anybody I was coming here. You, you feel I can't go out for a walk nowadays without you. When did you, you get back? Tuesday. Mm. Where'd you get that dress? Do you like it? It's all right. <laughs> well, no point standing here on the porch. Come on in. I, I still can't understand it. I didn't tell anybody I was coming here, you know. Would you rather leave? Well, no, I don't want to be rude. <laughs> Sit down for a while. It's nice about your brother and Ruth, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all right. Don't you like her? Well, of course I like her. She's a page. Oh, just marriage in general you're not enthusiastic about, hmm? No, no. Marriage is all right for a lot of people. It's all right for Harry and Sam Wainwright and you. For Sam? Harry? It's George Bailey, Mother. What's he want? I don't know. What do you want? Me? I, not a thing. Not a thing. And I, I just came in to get warm. He's making violent love to me, Mother. You just tell him to go right back home. Sam said he'd call you tonight from New York, didn't he? I guess so. How about some music? Uh, you know, your mother needs... You know, I didn't come here to... What did you come here for, then? Uh, I don't know. You're supposed to be the one with all the answers. You tell me. Oh, why don't you go home? I don't know why I came here in the first place. Good night. Good night. Okay, the way you're shouting, you'd think that... You'd think what? All right, I'll get it. George, on your way out, would you mind turning off the phonograph? I'd be very happy to. I've gone crazy, song. Hello? Sam? Mary! Gee, it's good to hear your voice. How are you, Sam? I forgot my hat. Hee-haw. 
What? Oh, I, I was just talking to an old friend of yours, George Bailey. Oh, Mossback George? Oh, Mossback George. Well, put him on. I'll talk to him, too. Wait a second. George. He doesn't want to speak to George. He does so. He asked for him. Why'd you call me? Because if you are, I, I'm in a hurry. I got... Sam wants to talk to you. Oh. Oh. Hiya, Sam. Hey, fine pal you are, trying to steal my girl. Oh, what do you mean? Nobody's trying to steal anybody's girl. Here, Mary, take the... No, no, here. no. Wait, wait, George. I want to speak to you both. Tell Mary to get in the extension upstairs. He says for you to get on the extension upstairs. I can't. Mother's on the extension. I am not. We, we can both hear, George. Just put your head a little closer. What? Yeah, what? That's, that's better. Uh, we're, we're listening, Sam. Well, I have a big deal coming up that's going to make us all rich. George, you remember that time you told me about making plastics out of soybeans? Soybeans? Yeah. Yeah. Soybeans. Yeah. Well, yeah, my yeah. father's checked into it, George. See? And now he's going to put up a factory. How do you like that? A factory, huh? And yeah. here's the point, George. I may have a job for you unless you're still married to that broken-down building and loan. Oh, Mary? Uh, I'm here. You tell that guy I'm giving him a chance of a lifetime. Do you hear? He says it's the chance of a lifetime. Hey, give me that phone. Here's George again, Sam. George! Now, you listen to me, Mary. I don't want any plastics, and I don't want any job, and I don't want to get married ever to anyone. Do you understand that? I want to do what I want to do, and, and you're not going to trick me. And you're... Mary. George. Mary. Oh, Mary, darling, I, I love you, Mary. Well, well, so George Bailey and Mary Hatch were... Yes, George and Mary were married. Mm. And they started off on their honeymoon in Ernie Bishop's taxi cab. Hey, where are you two going on this here now, honeymoon? We're going to shoot the works, Ernie. A whole week in New York, a whole week in Bermuda, the highest hotel, the oldest champagne, the hottest music, and the prettiest wife. <laughs> so you're finally getting out of Bedford Falls, huh? Then what? Then what, honey? After that, who cares? That doesn't. Hey, you know, Mrs. Bailey, I haven't kissed you. Hey, since George, I... there's something funny going on over there. Look, look over there at the bank. It looks huh? like a run. All right. Pull over a minute, will you, Ernie? George, let's not stop. Please, let's go straight to the station. No, wait station. a minute. Well, uh, I'd better see what it is. I'll be right back. George, please. George! In a few moments, we'll return with the second act of It's a Wonderful Life, starring James Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore. Meanwhile, here's our Hollywood reporter, Libby Collins, looking very smart to me, I say. Well, thank you, Mr. Keeley. You know, after seeing Paulette Goddard's wardrobe for Paramount's new comedy, Suddenly It's Spring, I just had to rush out and buy something new. Looking at all those lovely clothes was just too much for my self-control. Well, you look stunning, Libby. Oh, thank you again, Mr. Keeley. Now, tell me about the picture. I understand that Paulette's portrayal of the next whack is truly delightful. Oh, yes, it is. And Fred McMurray gives a perfect characterization of her wayward husband. Between the two of them, suddenly it's spring is a high-spirited comedy with emphasis on the romantic side. Well, naturally. <laughs> but really, Mr. Keeley, that wardrobe of Miss Goddard certainly will make clothes-conscious girls sit up and take notice. I'll bet you think so, too, Mr. Kennedy. Well, Libby, men seldom know much about styles. Well, what I notice about a dress is the general effect when a woman wears it. Some girls always seem to have that right-on-the-beam look. You know what I mean. <laughs> well, I think what you have in mind, Mr. Kennedy, is good grooming. Screen stars certainly put great emphasis on it. A perfect hairdo, fresh, beautifully cared-for skin. 
Those are essentials. That must be the reason Lux Toilet Soap continues to be a studio standby, no matter how often other styles change. Well, that's what Miss Goddard told me. She says her beauty facials are so quick and easy and work so well. She's never without a supply of Lux Toilet Soap. I can depend on it for daily complexion care, she said. I wish you'd tell the ladies in our audience how easy these Lux Soap facials are, Libby. Well, here's what Paulette Goddard does. She says, I cover my face with a fragrant Lux Soap lather and work it well in. I rinse with warm water, then cold, and use a soft towel to pat my skin dry. Give skin quick new beauty, she says. Daily Lux Soap facials do make skin lovelier. Recent tests by skin specialists proved it. In, in three out of four cases, complexions became softer and smoother in, in just a short time. A lovely Lux complexion makes a woman so attractive. I wish every girl who hasn't tried Lux Toilet Soap would begin using it tomorrow. That's sound advice, Libby. When nine out of ten screen stars recommend a beauty soap, you know it has to be good. So why not try Lux Toilet Soap, Hollywood's own complexion soap? We pause now for station identification. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart as George, Donna Reed as Mary, and Victor Moore as Clarence. Well, we're back in heaven again, where the superintendent of angels is reviewing the case history of a mortal named George Bailey. Clarence, the apprentice angel, is very eager to depart on his mission to the earth. Poor George Bailey. Oh, he's certainly in desperate trouble, Joseph. I'll go to him at once. Now, you sit down, Clarence. Sit down. We're nowhere near the point where George Bailey's thinking of taking his life. We're not? Now, uh, where were we? Oh, yes, yes. George and Mary had just started out on their honeymoon when they ran smack into the financial panic of 1932. In the waiting room of the building and loan, a hundred frantic people were clamoring for their safety. Hey, what's going on, Uncle Billy? What's happened? All those people out there. This is a pickle, George. All I know is the bank called our loan an hour ago. I had to hand over all our cash. Holy mackerel. Whole town's gone crazy. Banks in the same spot we are. Our charter, too. What about our charter? Our charter says we have to stay open until 6 p.m. The state can take away our license if we don't. How can we stay open until 6 without any money? George, where are you going? Out to talk to those people. Come on. Please, folks, now just a minute. Just a minute, now please. How about our money, George? Where's our money? Now, come on, now please, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now listen to me. Now you're thinking of this place all wrong. Your money's not here. Oh, wait a minute, now let me tell you. Let me tell you, your money's in people's houses. In the Kennedy house, in the McLaren house, and in your house, and a hundred others. Now, what are you going to do, foreclose on them? I got $240 in shares, now let me have it. All right, all right, Charlie, now... You'll get your money in 60 days. 60 days? Well, now, look, that's what you, that's what you agreed on when you bought your shares. I got my money! Well, yes. Old man Potter's taking over the bank. He'll pay you 50 cents on every dollar. Then let's take our shares to Potter. Half is better than nothing. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Please, folks, I beg of you not to do this. If Potter gets hold of your shares, he'll be owning this building and loan, and 
He's got the bank, he's got the bus line, he's got the department stores, and now he's after us because he wants to keep you living in his shacks and paying the kind of rent he decides to charge. Now, we can get through this thing, all right, but we've got to stick together. We've got to have faith in each other. My husband's out of work. We need money. I've got doctor bills to pay. I can't feed my kids on save. How much do you need? We've still got some money. Hey, Mary. Here it is, George. You told me to hold on to it. Would have made a nice honeymoon. Bought furniture, too. Hey, now, wait a minute. Whoa, listen. I've got $2,000. All right, Charlie, how much do you need? $200. $240. No, Charlie, now listen, just enough to tide you over. I said $240. Okay, okay. Uncle Billy, give Charlie $240. All right, Ed. Now, how much just to get by? Oh, $20, I suppose. Now you're talking. Now you're Mrs. Thompson, how about you? $20 will do me. Good, good. $20. Uncle Billy, pay it back when you can now. Pay it back when you can. All right, all right. Who's next? Look at the clock. Look. Five seconds. Four seconds, three, two, one, six o'clock. We made it. Lock that door, Eustace, quick. Boy, we're still in business, Uncle Billy. We even got two bucks left, hmm? George, there's a call for you. Okay, and then call my wife, will you? She's probably over at Mother's. Mrs. Bailey's on the line. No, I don't want Miss Bailey. I want my wife, Mrs. Bailey. Mrs. Bailey, that, that's my wife. That's my, uh, give me the phone, will you? Hey, Mary, Ma- listen, Mary, I'm sorry. I, I, hmm? Come home. What home? Well, 323 Sycamore. Well, whose home is that? What? Well, Mary, how can I... Well, sure, all right, sure, I'll I'll be there. Clarence, guess what 323 Sycamore was? His mother-in-law's house, huh? Oh, no. Number 323 Sycamore was the old Granville house, the one George threw rocks at and made wishes. Yes, sir, that's where they spent their honeymoon. That's where they started housekeeping. They were still living there two years later when old man Potter asked George to stop over at his office. Sit down, George. Sit down, Lou. Uh, have a cigar? Well, thank you, sir. Uh, George, you're a young man, married, making, say, $40 a week at the building and lawn. Forty-five. Forty-five. Now, if you were some ordinary yokel, I'd say you were doing fine. But George Bailey is intelligent, ambitious. He hates the building and loan almost as much as I do. He's been dying to get out of town ever since he was born, but he's trapped. Trapped into frittering his life away, playing nursemaid to a lot of garlic eaters. Do I paint a correct picture, George, or do I exaggerate? Well, what's your point, Mr. Potter? My point is that you're the only man in town who has licked me. George, I want to hire you. Manage my affairs. I'll start you off at $20,000 a year. $20,000 a year? Are you sure you're talking to me? I'm George Bailey. Don't you remember me? The building and loan, remember? Yes, George Bailey, whose ship has just come in, providing he has sense enough to climb aboard. Well, but but what about the building and loan? Confounded man, I'm offering you a three-year contract at $20,000 a year. Is it a deal or isn't it? No, no, the answer's no doggone it. If you offered me a million dollars to stay around this town and play stooge to you, the answer'd still be no. Now, let me alone. Don't bother George, what did Mr. Potter want? Oh, it's nothing. He just talked, talked. It's nothing. Oh, gee. Mary Hatch. Mary, why in the world did you ever marry a guy like me, anyway? <laughs> to keep from being an old maid. I was going to see the world. I was going to build things. I was going to give you the moon. What have I given you? What have I given you? Not even a new dress, not for months. I... Gee whiz, I feel awful. So do I. 
Mornings especially. I could have married Sam Wainwright, anybody else in town. I didn't want to marry anybody else. I want my baby to look like you. No, you didn't even have a honeymoon. And I promised you that you, 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 you what? My baby. You're, you be, hey, Mary, Mary, you mean you're on the nest? Don't say. Then she had another one. A girl. Well, what do you know? Night after night, George had come home late from the office. Things weren't good with the building and loan. Potter was really bearing down on him. Then came the war. Mary had another baby by then. Oh. But she still had time to help out in USO. Uncle Billy sold war bonds. And George's brother Harry became a real hero. Shot down 15 planes. But George, what about George? Well, George was 4F, his bad ear. He was an air raid warden. On VE day, he wept and prayed. On VJ day, he wept and prayed again. We're, uh, we're getting pretty close to today, aren't we, sir? Yes, Clarence. You now know almost everything you have to know about George Bailey, except what happened that finds him down there at this moment, wanting to die. Well... Sir, well... Well, today's the day before Christmas. Uh, Earth time. George is pretty excited. Hey, Tilly! Useless! Hey, look at the newspaper. Commander Harry Bailey, decorated by the president. That's my kid brother. The Congressional Medal of Honor. Gosh, George, gosh. What do you think about the 15 Jap planes? And the last one he got was just about to dive into a transport loaded with soldiers. You know what that means? He saved lives, hundreds of lives. Gee, where's Uncle Billy? Huh? Well, gone to the bank, George. He's oh. depositing that $8,000. Good, good, good. Go. Who's that in his office there? It's that man again, the bank examiner. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah. Well, good afternoon, Mr. Carter. Hey, uh, Telly, get the books from Mr. Carter. Well, you know, that's my brother's picture there, Mr. Carter. He shot down 15 planes, and one of them was just about... Well, well, Mr. Henry, your father come to the bank to deposit some more loot, eh? Sure, you old fool. How do you like the news in the paper, Mr. Potter? Just can't keep those Bailey boys down now, can you? Oh, let me see that newspaper. Here, sorry I can't chat, you old thief. Got to make a deposit. Uh, here you are, Horace, deposit slip, bank book, and a very Merry Christmas to you. You too, Mr. Bailey. Say, you've forgotten something, haven't you? Horace, I've forgotten things all my life. Get a wiggle on, boy. But, Mr. Bailey, where's the money? Uh, what, what's that? You want to make a deposit? Well, certainly I want Well, it's customary to bring the money with you. It's gone. Where'd I put it? Where'd I put that money? A terrible thing, Clarence. Terrible. Uncle Billy couldn't find the money because the envelope with the $8,000 was folded up in that newspaper he gave to old man Pop. I just don't know what happened to it, George. I just don't know. $8,000. Uncle Billy, the bank examiner's here, and it's not our money. It belongs to the depositor. George, what, what are we going to do? We've placed every step I took. We can't stand here in the street. Are you sure you didn't put that envelope in your coat pocket? I, I, I think so. Maybe. Maybe. Oh, I'm no good to you, George. I'm no good. Now listen to me. Now listen to me. Think. Think, will you? Now try and think. I... I can't think anymore. I, I can't. Where's that money, you silly old fool? You know what this means? It means bankruptcy and scandal and prison. One of us is going to jail. Well, it's not going to be me. Now, get out of my way. I'm going home. Oh, 
George, dear, what's wrong? You haven't said a word since you came home. Oh, well, that banging on that piano, does she have to just keep playing that same piece over and over and over and over again? Is it, dear? Another hectic day. Yeah. Yeah, another red-letter day for the Dad, baby. Dad, Murphy's got a brand-new car. You should see it. What's the matter with our car? Isn't it good enough for you? I'm sorry, Dad. I only... Run upstairs, Petey. See if Zuzu's all right. Okay, Mom. Now, what do you mean? What to see if Zuzu's all right? What do you mean? Oh, she caught a little cold coming home from school. She didn't button up her coat. Well, what is it? What is? What do you mean, just a cold? George, the doctor said it was nothing serious. The doctor? Was the doctor here? Well, I thought he'd better look at her. It's this old drafty house. It's no wonder we don't all have pneumonia. We might as well be living in a refrigerator. Why did we have to live here in the first place and stay around this measly, crummy old town? George, what's happened? Everything's happened. You call this a happy family? Why do we have to have all these kids? Daddy, how do you spell Frankenstein? I don't know how you spell. You ask your mother. Where are you going? Upstairs to see Zuzu. Hello? Oh, thank you, Mrs. Welch. I'm sure she'll be all right. Who's that? Zuzu's school teacher. What? Oh, yes, the doctor says she'll be fine tomorrow. Here, give me that phone. George, please. Mrs. Welsh? Well, this is Mr. Bailey. Say, what kind of a teacher are you, anyway? What do you mean, sending Zuzu home like that half-naked? Do you realize you'll probably end up with pneumonia just because of your stupidity? You know, maybe my kids aren't the best-dressed kids in town, but at least... Hello? Hello? Janie, will you stop playing that lousy piano? Cut it out! Stop it! George, for heaven's sake, what's wrong with you? I'm sorry. I'm... Janie, I'm sorry. Mary... I, I, I just got to get out of here. So that's it, George. Your short $8,000 in your account, sir. Oh, please, Mr. Potter, I'll, I'll pay any sort of a bonus if you still want the building and loan. I, you say it I'll was let... lost. Have you notified the police? No, sir, I haven't done that yet. Harry's home. Oh, I come tomorrow. to be. What about your good friend Sam Wainwright? I can't get a hold of him. He's in Europe. What kind of security would I have, George? What collateral? Yes, sir. I have some life insurance here. A $15,000 policy. Mm-hmm. What's your equity in it? $500. And you want 8000 You once called me a warped, frustrated old man. Well, what are you but a warped, frustrated young man crawling on your hands and knees for help? Why don't you go to the riffraff you love so well? Ask them for help. I'll do anything, Mr. Potter, please. Please help me, Miss. My wife and kids... I'm calling the district it. attorney. $500. You know something, George? You're worth more dead than you are alive. Now get out of here. Get out. And all the time, Potter had the $8,000 in his desk drawer. It's still there, Terrence. But where is George, sir? Where? Well, he went over to Martini's Cafe. He's had a couple of drinks, Clarence. He's just standing there, sort of in a day. Oh, God... Dear Father in heaven, I, I'm, I'm not a praying man, but if if you're up there and, and you can hear me, please show me the way. I'm at the end of my rope. I, show me the way, God. Mr. Bailey, you all right? Don't drink anymore, Mr. Bailey. Please, you don't feel good. Bailey? You say Bailey? Which Bailey? This gentleman is Mr. Bailey, George Bailey. George Bailey, huh? And the next time you talk to my wife like that, she'll get worse. It isn't enough. She slaves teaching your stupid kids how to read and write. You've got to ball You get out of here, Mr. Welch. You hit my best friend. Get out. All right. Um, Mr. Bailey, you you okay? Who's that? Mr. Welch, but don't worry. He don't come in this place no more. 
I'll get something for your face. It's bleeding. I'm all right. Please don't go away, Mr. Billy. Please don't go away. Well, George left Martini's Cafe five minutes ago, Clarence. He's at the river now, on the bridge, looking at the water. Are you ready, Clarence? All ready, sir. Very well. Save George Bailey's life, and you'll get your wings. My wings. Oh, thank you, Joseph. George! George Bailey! Get away from that bridge! You hear me? George! In just a moment, we'll bring you Act Three of It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore. The popular theory about beautiful blondes is that they are content to be merely decorative. Our lovely guest tonight, Miss Susan Blanchard, completely disproves that idea. Besides being a hard-working fox starlet, Susan, I understand you're a wonderful cook. I really love housekeeping, Mr. Keeley. But most of all, I enjoy the training I get at the studio. It's work, but it's fun, too. You're an Easterner, aren't you, Susan? Yes, a native New Yorker. I thought so. It was the Broadway theater that inspired me to think of show business as a career. Well, that's interesting. I used to save my allowance and go to every play I could. One of my favorite actresses was Jane Wyatt. Uh Uh-huh. Imagine, Mr. Keeley, what a thrill it was for me to meet her right here in Hollywood. Jane Wyatt's latest picture, Boomerang, was made in the East, I understand. Mm-hmm, yes. But she and Dana Andrews, who stars in Boomerang with her, were in Hollywood to see a studio showing of the picture. Oh, I see. Jane Wyatt is my ideal of a stage and screen star. So talented and so lovely to look at. Just as lovely in real life, too. She is indeed. It wasn't long before I discovered that she's as keen about Lux toilet soap for beauty care as I am. You know, I'm a Lux girl, too. We're glad to hear you say that, Miss Blanchard, because that's a very beautiful Lux complexion I see before me. Just right for blue eyes and ash blonde hair. Thank you, Mr. Kennedy. Any girl in pictures is delighted to find out about Lux toilet soap as a beauty care. Active lather facials are so quick and easy, and they really make a difference in your skin. Thousands of busy, attractive women have discovered that, Miss Blanchard. Daily Lux Soap Complexion Care does make skin lovelier. Otherwise, it wouldn't be the choice of nine out of ten screen stars. Lux Toilet Soap is all around beauty care for me. I use it as a bath soap, too. It has such delightful perfume, leaves a lovely fragrance on the skin. Thank you, Miss Susan Blanchard. I hope our audience will be seeing that lovely Lux complexion of yours in a screen close-up one of these days. Now, back to our producer, William Keeley. Act three of It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore. Numb with despair, convinced, as Mr. Potter said, that he's worth more dead than alive, George Bailey stands on a bridge, staring at the dark and frigid waters below. Suddenly, there's a splash. No, that's not George. It's Clarence, the apprentice angel. And there goes George in after him. Hmm. It's a few minutes later now, and in the bridgekeeper's shack, George and Clarence are drying off. You both sure you're all right? You, you want a doctor? No, I'm all right. Oh, I'm fine. This underwear, I didn't have time to get anything more stylish. 
My wife gave me this on my last birthday. I passed away in it. You... You what, mister? Hmm. I see Tom Sawyer is drying out, too. Who? My book. I left in such a hurry, I brought Tom Sawyer with me. Hey, how'd you happen to fall in? Oh, I jumped in. I jumped in to save you. Jumped in to save me? Well, I... I did, didn't I? You didn't go through with it, did you? Go through with what? Suicide. Hey, it's against the law to commit suicide around here. Yeah, it's against the law where I come from, too. <laughs> where do you come from? Heaven. Oh, that's very fine. Very your fine. your lips bleeding. Yeah, yeah, I got a bust in the jaw in answer to a prayer. <laughs> oh, no, George, I'm the answer to your prayer. Hey, how, how'd you know my name? Oh, I know all about you. Well, who are you supposed to be, anyway? Clarence Oddbody, A.S. 2. Clarence Oddbody. What's the, what's the AS2 for? Angel, second class. Hey, I'm getting out of here. You may not need a doctor, but I do. Here you are, my good man. Hey, look here. Why do you want to save me? Because I'm your guardian angel, George. Oh, I see. Uh-huh. Well, you look like about the kind of an angel I'd get. What, <laughs> what, uh, what happened to your wings? Well, I haven't won my wings yet. That's why I'm an angel second class. Oh, I see. But you can help me earn them, George, by letting me help you. Oh, uh, don't happen to have 8,000 bucks on you, do you? Oh, no, no. We, we don't use money in heaven. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I keep forgetting. Oh, I see. Comes in pretty handy down here, bub. <laughs> oh, cut, cut, cut. Of I found it out a little late. You know, I'm worth more dead than alive. You mustn't talk like that. Joseph will never give me my wings if you keep feeling that way. You just don't realize what you've done for your folks. Why, if it hadn't been for yes, you... if it hadn't been time... for me, everybody would be better off. My wife and my kids and my friends. Oh, this is not going to be easy. I'd all be better off if I hadn't been born. What did you say? I said I wish I'd never been born. George, that's wonderful. It's wonderful? What? The idea you just gave me. Well, you got your wish. You've never been born. I've never been born? Exactly. No worries, no $8,000 to get, nothing. You simply don't exist. All right, all right, okay, all right. George, I can do things, strange things. I can show you the world, George, the way it would be if you hadn't been born. Hey, wait, hey, wait a minute, this ear of mine. Hey, say something else in that bad ear. You don't have a bad ear anymore. Oh, I don't think you're concentrating. Oh. Don't you see? You're not the George Bailey you think you are. You're, well, uh, you're nobody. Oh, that's the doggondest thing I ever saw, that, that ear. Your lips stop bleeding, too. Yeah. Yeah, hey, hey what's, what's happening around here? What is this, anyway? I need a drink, that's what I need. What, what about you, Angel? You want a drink? Well, I, I don't quite know. Come on, come I... on. We'll go as soon as our clothes are dry. Clothes are dry, George. Hey, this, so they are. That's funny. Well, look, let's get dressed and we'll stroll over to Martini's and then... Uh, oh, excuse me. I mean, I'll stroll. You fly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I don't have my You don't wings. have your wings yet. No. That's right. I forgot that again. A couple of drinks and we'll both fly, huh?
What'll you have, fellas? Hey, where's the boss? Where's Martini? Luckwise, guy. I'm the boss, see? Okay, well, double scotch, quick, will you? What's yours? You know what? I just love some mulled wine. Huh? Heavy on the cinnamon and light on the cloves. Off with you, my lad, and lively now. Now, cut it out. Oh, no, come on here. Just give him the same as I ordered. He's okay. Uh, two double scotch. What about this place? It's all changed. All of Bedford Falls has changed. You're having your wish, George. You've never been born. Oh, there'll be lots of things you've never seen before. <laughs> oh, good. Somebody just made it. Made what? Every time a bell rings, it means some angel's got his wings. What'd you say? Uh, look, uh, Clarence, I don't think you better talk about angels around here. You know, don't they believe in angels? Oh, yeah, they believe in them, but you know, it's just a little well, then thing. Then why should people be surprised when they see one? Uh, don't mind him, bartender. He's just a little fellow. He just never grew up. And how old are you anyway, Clarence? Well, next May, I'll be 293. That does it. A couple of pixies, huh? Go on, get you. Hear me, get. Where's Martini? Will you stop asking about Martini? Ain't here any. Hey, you. Rami, didn't I tell you never to come panhandling around here? George, look. Hey, it's Mr. Gower. Mr. Gower. Listen, Mr. Gower, don't you know me? This is George Bailey. You. You buy me a drink, mister? Just one drink, will you, mister? Pinky! Yeah, Nick. Throw the rummy out. Oh, no, no, please. Hey, bartender, that's that's Mr. Gower, the druggist. That rum head spent 20 years in jail for poisoning some kid. If you knew him, you must be a jailbird yourself. Pinky, here's two more. Get him out of here. Get up, George. Good thing he threw us in the snowbank, huh? Where's, where's Mr. Gower? Mr. Gower doesn't know you, George. You see, you weren't there to stop him from putting poison into that prescription. What do you mean I wasn't there? Look, tell me, what are you? Are you a hypnotist? George. Look, why am I seeing all these strange things here? Don't you understand? It's because you were not born. Well, if I wasn't born, then who am I? Nobody. You have no identity. What do you mean I have no identity? No papers, no driver's license, no 4F card, no insurance policy. Zuzu's bell. What? Zuzu's bell. I bought my little girl a bell to hang on the Christmas tree, and I forgot to give it to her. I've got it in my... I... It's gone. It's gone, too. Everything's gone. But you've been given a great gift, George. A chance to see what the world would be like if you'd never been born. You're crazy. You're crazy as a bedbug, and you're driving me crazy, too. Now look, I'm going home to my wife and family. Do you understand that? And I'm going home alone. Joseph, oh, I'll stay near him, sir. Poor George. He's seeing Main Street now the way it'd be if he hadn't lived. The thing that's really shocked him, sir, is the building and loan office. Know what's there now? Pawn shop. What's he doing? Can you see? He's talking to Ernie Bishop, the taxi driver. He wants to go home. You better tag along, Clarence. Oh, I will, sir. I will. Come on, step on it, will you, Ernie? Get me home. I'm off my nut. Where do you live, buddy? Oh, now, doggone it, Ernie. Don't you start pulling that stuff on me. 323 Sycamore. 323 Sycamore. Yeah, hurry up. But Zuzu's sick. Okay, buddy. Hey, look, Ernie, I, I don't know what's happened. I'm going crazy or something. I got some bad liquor. I... Now, look, tell me this now. You're Ernie Bishop, right? And you live with your wife and kid, Donna. You see my wife? What do you mean? I've seen your wife. I've been in your house a hundred times. What do you... We, we built it for you, didn't we? What? My wife took the kid and ran away five years ago, and I ain't never seen you before in my life, see? Okay, Ernie, okay, okay, just step on it. 
get me home. Mary! Mary, where are you? Janie, Petey, Zuzu! Zuzu, where are you? This is just an old abandoned house, George. You have no wife. No children. Where are they? What have you done with them? Hey, I'll break that Kinsey, I told you. All right, up with your hands. Oh, Bert, Bert the cop. Thank heaven you're here. Now, look, why don't you be a good fella and I'll take you to a doctor. Bert, now, Bert, listen to me. What's the matter with you guys? Now, listen, it's that fellow there. He says he's an angel. He tried to hypnotize me. I hate to use my nightstick, but I guess I... Ow! Uh, run, George, run. He can't hit you while I'm Ow! biting him. George, run! My teeth aren't what they used to be. Joseph, help! Joseph! Joseph! Where'd they go, Ernie? Where'd they go? I, I, I don't know. They just disappeared. Parents! Oh, Joseph, I hope you don't mind my calling on you like I did. It was very irregular, Clarence. You're by yourself again. Where's George? He's at his mother's house, sir. Well, if George hasn't been born, he has no mother. Oh, he's being very stubborn, sir. He'll just have to find these things out for himself. But his mother, that's a terribly bitter blow to a man, his old mother not knowing him. You mean I shouldn't have let him... I mean you better find him right away. Oh, and stop fighting policemen, Clarence. I'm here again, George. My mother, my own mother didn't know me. If only Harry were here. My brother were only back from Washington. Your brother fell through the ice and was drowned at the age of nine. Well, that's a lie. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives of every man on that transport. Every man on that transport died. Strange, isn't it? Each man's life touches so many other lives. Harry wasn't there to save them because you weren't there to save Harry. Don't you see, George, you really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away? Clarence. Yes? Where's Mary? Please, where's my wife? I, uh, I'm not supposed to tell. Tell me where she is. You're not going to like it, George. Where is she? I'll choke it out of you if I have to. Where's my wife? The library. She works there. She's just about to lock up for the night. So I, uh... George! George! Come back! Oh, there must be some easier way for me to get my wings. Mary. Mary. I'm sorry. The library's closed. Mary, it's George. Don't you know me? No, I don't know you. Let me go. Mary, please, don't do this to me, Mary. Please, help me. Help me. Where, where are our kids, Mary? I need you, Mary. Oh, get please. away from me. Help! 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 Help me, Mary. I'm George. Mary! Clarence. Oh, where is he, Joseph? Where's George? I'm afraid I've lost him, sir. You knew you shouldn't have let him try to see Mary. Now they're after him. A mob. They think he was trying to hurt her. Joseph, I won't even get one wing, will I? You have one more chance, Clarence. Get over to the bridge by the river. I think George has seen just about enough. But, but the mob... Now don't worry. They've lost him, too. Now hurry up. Oh, thank you, Joseph. Thank you. Clarence. Clarence! Clarence, where are you? I'm here, George. 
Help me, Clarence. Get me back. I don't care what happens to me. Only get me back to my wife and kids, please. I want to live again. Oh, thank you, George. Thank you, boy. I want to live again, please. Oh, God, please let me live again. George? Is that you down there, George? Now, get out here, Bert. Get out here. You come in any closer, I'll, what the I'll let you have it. What the hell are you yelling for, George? Come on. George. George, Bert. Bert, do you know me? No, yeah. I've been looking all over town for you. Where you been? Hey, Bert. Bert. I'm alive again, Bert. You sure you're all right? Hey, your mouth's bleeding. It is. Hey, my mouth's bleeding. Bert, look at, look at the blood come out of there, would you? Oh, and where's Zuzu's Christmas bell, Bert? I had it right in my pocket. Here it is. Hey, it's in my pocket. What do you know about it? Hey, Merry Christmas, Bert. Well, Merry Christmas. Get in the car. I'll drive you home. You will, Bert. We'll do that. And turn the siren wide open, huh? Merry Christmas, Bedford Falls. Hey, Merry Christmas, old building alone. Merry Christmas, Mr. Potter. Yippee! Come on. Hey, Bert, come on, come on in with me, huh? What are these people, these reporters? Hey, oh, oh, Merry Christmas, reporters. Hey, Mr. Bank Examiner, Merry Mr. Christmas. Mr. Bailey, there's a deficit. I know, $8,000, I'll bet, huh? George, I've, I've got a little paper here. I'm oh, sorry. I, but... I bet it's a warrant for my arrest. Isn't that wonderful? Merry Christmas. Hey, where's Mary, you know? Uh, look at this wonderful old drafty house. Shouldn't it wonder? Have you seen my wife? Where's Mary? Mary! Hey, kid, Janie, Petey. Hey, oh, I could eat you up. Where's your mother? She went looking for you, Daddy, with Uncle Billy. Oh, Daddy. Zuzu, my little ginger snap. How do you feel, huh? Fine, Daddy. Not a snitch of temperature. Not a snitch of temperature. Hallelujah. George. George, darling. It's Mommy. Mommy's home. Mary. George, where have you been? Oh, Mary. George, oh, Mary. George. Now, look, just let me touch you. Oh, you're real, Mary. Oh, you've no idea what happened uh, to me. You've no idea what's happened either. They're on their way here. Who? Who's on their way? Oh, the police department? I don't... The FBI? The National Guard? I'm alive again, Mary. Oh, listen, Mary. I'm alive again. Oh, yes, darling, yes. Now, now, close your eyes and, and come on downstairs. Oh, you... What is it? We can't open my eyes yet, Mary? What's going on here? Now, now keep your eyes closed. Now, I'll just walk you over here by the Christmas tree and... Well, the people, I hear lots of people. What, what is it? Lots of people. Just one minute now. We're all ready, Uncle Billy. Come in, everybody. George, look. Just look. Uncle Billy. Money, George. A laundry basket filled with money. Money for you. Mary did it, George. Mary. I don't understand. What money? What... People heard you in trouble, darling. These people, your friends, they've collected this money for you. The $8,000. Charlie. Hey, there's Mar- there's Martini. Uh, Mr. Gower. Hey, how are you, Mr. Gower? Mrs. Thompson, Ed, Tom, everybody. Huh? None of us would have a roof over our heads if it wasn't for you, George. Oh, Garth, this is wonderful. Hey, Mary, look. Look who's coming in. Mother. Hi, Mother. Hey, and Harry. Got Mary's telegram, George. I flew in as fast as hey, I could. Hey, everybody, a toast. How about a toast? Oh, good idea, Ernie. A toast to my big brother, George, the richest man in town. Adventures of Tom Sawyer. There's something written in it. Dear George, remember no man is a failure who has friends. Thanks for the wings, love, Clarence. Clarence? Yeah. 
He's a very dear friend of mine. Daddy, this is well sick. Every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. That's right, Zuzu. That's right. That's right. boy, Clarence. boy, Clarence. Happy landing. It's a wonderful life so long as we can have such fine performances as we enjoyed tonight. From Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore. Jimmy, I'd like to thank whatever guardian angel whisked you back from Texas for our show this evening. Well, that guardian angel was an airline wing, uh, Bill. (laughs) You were in Texas for the premiere of his picture, weren't you, Jimmy? Yeah, Frank Capra and I went down for five openings as many nights. Pretty good All down there in Texas, Texas, Texas yeah. Jimmy. Yeah, every one of them. There are five premieres over Texas. You know, it's a pretty big state. Takes that many. To... <laughs> Jimmy, I'm sure your fans were proud to read that you received an honorary degree from Princeton just the other week. Yes, how about that, Jimmy? Do we call you professor now? No, 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 no. It's just an M.A. Oh, Master of Arts? Well, I don't, it might have been. I don't know. It might be for murdering architecture. That's what I studied. <laughs> well, you know, Donna has an honorary degree to her credit, too. LLC. What's that, Bill? LLC? Well, you can see for yourself. A lovely Lux complexion. Well, thank you, Bill. Or rather, thank Lux Toilet Soap. It's a wonderful complexion care. I use it faithfully. With wonderful results, I see. Uh, What's happening next Monday night on Lux, Bill? Next week, we have another of the season's most successful films. It's 20th Century Fox's thrilling screen hit, Leave Her to Heaven, with lovely Jean Tierney, and a star who appears in answer to literally hundreds of requests, Cornell Wilde. Based on the best-selling novel of the same name... Leave Her to Heaven is the strange, dramatic story of a woman whose twisted mind and fiendish jealousy drive her to any lengths to hold the man she loves. That ought to make great listening, Bill. I wouldn't miss it for anything. Good night. Good Good night, and thanks a million. Leave Her Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, join me in inviting you to be with us again next Monday evening when the Lux Radio Theater presents Gene Tierney and Cornell Wilde in Leave Her to Heaven. This is William Keeley saying goodnight to you from Hollywood. Here's a sure way to save on your meat and grocery bills. Turn in used patch, kitchen pads to your butcher and receive a generous price for every pound. The worldwide supply of pets is still desperately short, and every drop you save helps in the making of soap, refrigerators, and other needed items. So save and turn in your used kitchen fats. Donna Reed appeared through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of The Beginning or the End, starring Brian Donlevy and Robert Walker. James Stewart will soon be seen in the Robert Riskin production for RKO, Magic Town. Victor Moore will soon be seen in Roy Del Ruth's production, It Happened on Fifth Avenue. Our music was directed by Louis Silvers. This program is broadcast to our men and women overseas through cooperation with the Armed Forces Radio Service. And this is your announcer, John Milton Kennedy, reminding you to tune in again next Monday night to hear 
Leave Her to Heaven with Gene Tierney and Cornell Wilde. Fry. When you bake and fry, fry. or you cake and pie, fry. it's your shortening by Reliance Fry. Want fried foods crisp, golden, better tasting? Try Spry, the pure vegetable shortening that gives you delicious, better tasting fried foods. So digestible, too, the Spry way. Reliance Fry. S-P-R-Y. Reliance Fry. S-P-R-Y. Be sure to listen in again next Monday night to hear the Lux Radio Theater presentation of Lieber to Heaven. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Do you love stories, experiences, and tales that are creepy, scary, and dark? Do you want to hear stories from the 1940s and 50s that will send shivers down your spine? Do you want to join a community that celebrates Halloween 365 days a year? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you need to check out the Foggy Jack Podcast. The Foggy Jack Podcast is hosted by Foggy Jack, a mysterious and spooky personality who loves to share his passion for horror and the paranormal. You'll hear tales of ghosts, monsters, murder, and mystery that will keep you on the edge of your seat. But that's not all. The Foggy Jack podcast also features interviews with guests from the LGBTQ community, the haunt industry, and the paranormal field. You'll hear stories of real-life hauntings, demons, and magic from people who have experienced them firsthand. You'll also learn about the latest news and events in the world of horror and Halloween. The Foggy Jack podcast is more than just a show. It's a network of friends and fans who support each other and share their love for all things spooky. The Foggy Jack Podcast is also proud to support The Trevor Project and Haunters Against Hate, two organizations that help LGBTQ youth and fight against discrimination and violence. So what are you waiting for? Join the Foggy Jack family today and subscribe to the Foggy Jack Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll never be bored or lonely again with Foggy Jack by your side. Remember, where the haunters meet the haunted, that's where you'll find Foggy Jack. Good health to all from Rexall. Yes, it's Sunday, time for the Phil Harris Alice Bay Show, presented by the makers of Rexall Drug Products and your Rexall family druggist. Good evening. This week, we independent Rexall druggists would like to play Santa Claus to all you tired, last-minute Christmas shoppers. Our present to you is quick, easy, economical gift-buying, without all the rush and worry. Suggestions? Well, there's Caranome, for example, one of America's oldest and most respected lines of beauty aids, and a Rexall exclusive. We have Caranome in delightful gift sets for as low as $2. And... On up to a completely fitted traveling case for $50. And believe me, the lady who receives Caranome will never forget the gift or the giver. Then there's Stag, Rexall exclusive, popular toiletries for men. You can buy them individually gift box for as low as 75 cents. Or in Hanson, combination sets up to $2.98. And here's another big help. Most of us Rexall druggists are prepared to gift wrap your selections, ready either for mailing or the Christmas tree. So, if you're faced with some last-minute gift buying, 
looked for the store with the orange and blue Rexall sign in the window. This week, that sign means quick, easy, can't-go-wrong Christmas shopping. Merry Christmas to all from Rexall. And now your Rexall family druggist brings you the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show, written by Ray Singer and Dick Chevrolet, with Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, Robert North, Janine Roos, and Whitfield, Walter Sharp and his music, our special guests Jack Benny, and starring Alice Faye and Phil Harris. For weeks now, the Harris children, like children all over the world, have been thinking of nothing but Christmas and Santa Claus. They've been on their best behavior, and as we look in, we find Alice complimenting the children on their good deportment. Now, you've been particularly good, Alice, and I'm sure that Santa Claus will bring you lots of presents. I hope so, Mommy. And as for you, honey, you've been just as good as Alice. You've been going to bed early, putting your toys away, and eating all your food. The only thing is, you haven't been drinking all your milk. Well, I try, but you know how that stuff gags me. <laughs> Phil, I'm talking to little Phyllis. Oh, where is she? She was here a minute ago. She went in the den, Mommy. I'll go get her. Phyllis! Phyllis, Mommy wants you to... Phyllis, what are you doing with those crayons? I'm going to draw a picture on the wall. Don't do that. You know we got to be good till Christmas. But I've been good for three weeks now. Alice, it's an awful strain. I know. But it's only five more days. Don't crack up now. You've been so good for so long I know But as Daddy always says It ain't been easy, Clyde <laughs> Alice, have you asked Mommy and Daddy About Santa Claus yet? No, but I will Children, children, what's going on in here? Yeah, what have you two been doing? Mommy, Daddy, we want to ask a favor We'd like to stay up and see Santa Claus when he brings the presents on Christmas Eve. Well, honey, Santa Claus has a lot of other stops to make, and he might get here very late, oh, and he can't... Oh, can't we, Daddy, please? Well, uh, well, well, okay. Now, you kids continue to behave yourselves, and I promise that you'll see Santa on Christmas Eve. Now, run along and play. Go oh, ahead. thanks, Daddy. Gee, I can hardly wait for Christmas Eve. Now, Phil, why did you promise the children that? Now, if they don't see Santa, they'll be very disappointed. They'll see him. And just to make sure, I'll dress up like Santa and come down the chimney. <laughs> they won't be able to tell me from the real one. Daddy? Yes, dear? Don't you dress up and make believe you're Santa like last year. Boy, was that corny. <laughs> You know something, Alice? I still can't figure out how they knew that it was me last year. What did I do that was wrong? Well, for one thing, you were supposed to come in singing Jingle Bells. I did. Oh, I know, but those lyrics, I can still hear them. Ham, hops, and turnip greens, they melt right in your mouth. And baby, jumps and a harmony grits, and that's what I like about the South. Yeah. Oh. What's wrong with those lyrics? That isn't the way we sing it up north. Well, can I help it if you Yankees don't know the right word? 
Miss Vanilla, give us a chance. Yeah. <laughs> Never did it that way in my life. You don't think I can play St. Nick? We'll have to get somebody else to do it. Yes, but who? Well, I'll think of somebody if you'll just let me concentrate. Now, if I think hard enough, something will come out. Good morning, Philip. <laughs> For this, I had to concentrate yet? Hello, Alice. I just dropped... Hey, Willie, wait a minute. Hmm? Willie, maybe you can help us. Look. We're trying to think of who we can get to play Santa Claus for the kids on Christmas Eve. Now, we want to get someone who looks and sounds like the real thing. I know just the man. Who? Me. <laughs> I shall be glad to portray Christopher Kringle. <laughs> Christopher. Well, Donner, my Blitzen. <laughs> Fine Santa Claus you'd make. I'd make an excellent one. I'm quite an actor, you know. Yes, indeed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can see myself popping out of the chimney, bounding into the living room and saying, Ho, 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 and a Merry Christmas to you little kiddies. And what do you, we darlings, desire as a Yuletide memento? Thank you, Tallulah Bankhead. <laughs> Now, you'll do me a favor. Will you get lost, Index? Go someplace and make a double entry. Check some books. Make some mistakes. Find some. Well, you don't want me to help you. I won't. No. I have to run along anyway. I have to meet my girlfriend at the taxidermist. I hope they did a good job on it. Imagine that little squirt playing Santa Claus. He couldn't impress me if he came in with a bag full of sponsors. Now, look, Phil, he may be small, but he might be all right. I wonder how he'd look in a fluffy white wig and beard. Like a short beard. <laughs> look, Alice, we got to get somebody who's big and fat and who can come... Hey, wait a minute. I got just the guy, Don Wilson. Oh, Don would be perfect. Sure. I'll call him right now and see if he can come over for Christmas. Oh, swell, honey. Oh, now the kids won't be disappointed. Santa will show up. You know, there's something wonderful about watching a kid on Christmas... Waiting for Santa and listening to those jingle bells. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Passing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh. Over the fields we go, laughing all the way. Bells on Bob's Hill ring, they're making spirits bright. What fun it is to ride and sing a sleigh song tonight. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Hey, oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Hey, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. A day or two ago, I thought I'd take a ride. And soon Miss Alice Fay was seated by my side. The horse was lean and lank, and his fortune seemed just locked. He got into a drifted bank, and we, we got a stop.
whiz. I hope Don can make it. He's going to be terrific as the Santa. Uh-oh, that must be Frankie. Hiya, Curly. Hiya, Frankie. Come on in. Yeah. Hey, you look pretty good, Waldo. <laughs> what do you got in all them packages? Christmas presents. Got some things for the kids and Alice. And here's something for you, Curly. For me? Oh. <laughs> you got a present for a little old curly-headed me? <laughs> yeah, I got you. Oh, Frankie. That's sweet of you. Oh, I, I, I don't know what to say. Well, that's all right, Curly. But the thought. <laughs> oh, Frankie, you know how I appreciate it. It touches me deeply. But you're going to get sloppy about it. I'll take it. <laughs> Where's Alice? Oh, I meant to tell you, she's inside calling Don Wilson. See, the kids want to see Santa Claus on Christmas Eve, so we're asking Don to play it. Why are you getting Don Wilson to play Santa? Well, what else am I going to do? Well, let him stay up and see the real Santa Claus. Yeah, but I don't know what time he's coming. <laughs> Can I have that again, Herman? <laughs> yeah. Why don't you let the kids see the real Santa Claus? You know, you better get some sleep, kid. <laughs> so you're another one of those cynics, huh? Wise guy who don't believe. You do? Of course. Just because you've never seen him don't mean he's not there. You must realize, Curly, there are some things in life that are inexplicable. <laughs> there exist certain psychic phenomena that are ethereal and beyond the comprehension of we mere mortals. Don't you agree? Oh, and... Indominably. <laughs> You can take my word for it. The real guy will show up. Look, will you stop already, Remley? I'm in enough trouble. I'm trying to get a guy in your... All I got to say is it's a good thing kids have more common sense and faith than some grown-ups, or Christmas wouldn't be much fun. I know that on Christmas Eve, old St. Nick and his reindeer will come flying through the sky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But do you mind if we have somebody stand in in case he's grounded by a low fog over Burbank? <laughs> Stop if you will. I'll drop over Christmas Eve. Maybe then you'll sing a different tune. Goodbye, infidel. <laughs> Poor Remley. He ain't been the same since he switched to buttermilk. Bill, Bill, I called Don, but he can't make it. However, he said he has a lot of active friends, and he'll send one of them over. He said we'd have to pay the actor $10. So what? It'll be worth $10 to make the kids happy. Hey, honey, did Don say he could get someone positively? You know, this is very important. Now, Phil, Phil, Don promised, so stop worrying. It's still five days till Christmas Eve, and if you keep this up, you'll drive yourself batty. And for five days, Phil worried. Now as we look in on the Harris home, it's Christmas Eve. Phil is downstairs trimming the tree and impatiently awaiting the arrival of Santa. Alice is upstairs reassuring the children that he'll be there. But, Mommy, it's 10 o'clock already and Santa isn't here yet. Gee, Mommy, do you think maybe he isn't coming? Now, now, don't fret, girls. Of course he's coming. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. Making a list and checking it twice. Gonna find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. 
Good, too. Now, if Santa only shows up... Bill, I was just upstairs with the children there. Oh, honey, the tree looks beautiful. Yeah, ain't it? (laughs) Hey, Alice, how are the kids? Are they they impatient? Oh, they'll be all right. Oh, Merry Christmas, everybody. Oh, Merry Christmas, Frankie. Oh, Merry Christmas. Hey, Frankie. Hmm? What do you got there? Milk and cookies for Santa Claus. (laughs) I put them on the mantle for him every year. Milk and cookies? Yeah. I just put them here over the fireplace. Hey, where are the kids? Oh, they're upstairs waiting for Santa. Yeah, and I'm waiting for him too. When's the guy going to show up? It's after ten already. I'll be patient, Curly. He's got a long trip from the North Pole. <laughs> Besides, his reindeer ain't as young as they used to be. Oh, keep place. quiet, will you? <laughs> now, paying the guy ten bucks, you'd think he'd get here on time. <laughs> the subterfuge is also unnecessary. Uh-oh, there it is. I bet that's Santa Claus now. I'll let him in. I'll go with you, honey. Okay. Well, Merry Christmas, Santa Claus. <laughs> Hello, oh. Santa Claus. Oh, oh, oh. Merry Christmas, and where's my $10? <laughs> Hey, Jackson, what are you doing here? Well, Don Wilson happened to mention that you were in the market for Santa Claus and you were paying $10. So I thought that I... Jackson, since when do you have to go around playing Santa Claus for money? Well, Phil, please, I'm not doing it just for the money. There are other reasons. I mean, I'm doing it because, uh... Well, there's, uh... Not to mention... Oh, I could go on naming reasons like that all... <laughs> Frankie, Merry Christmas. Huh. Oh, Merry Christmas me, you imposter, you. A oh, fine-looking Santa Claus. I think I look charming. Charming, he said. Where'd you get that messy red suit? It's got spots all over it. I rented it. The Santa Claus had it last year was a sloppy eater. <laughs> Phil, how do you think I look? Like a bloodshot leopard. I think you look ridiculous. Get a load of that white beard. Where'd you rent that moth-eaten thing? Oh, oh, that I didn't rent. I was playing gin rummy with Monty Woolley, and I won it. <laughs> of course, if you people don't like me as Santa Claus... Oh, pay no attention to these two, Jack. I think you make a wonderful Santa Claus, and you're worth what we're paying you. Phil, give Jack the $10. Okay, okay. Here you are, Jackson. Thanks. 
<laughs> little Phyllis will get a kick out of it. I'll go call little Phyllis and Jack. Uh, Jack, try to convince her you're really Santa Claus, huh? Little Phyllis? Phil, I thought I was doing this for your benefit. <laughs> I mean, if it's for little Phyllis, I, I wouldn't think of taking money. No, no, no. It's okay, Jackson. A deal's a deal. Phil, please don't embarrass but me. But Jackson... But it's for the kid. I wouldn't think of taking the $10. Well, if you insist... $7.50 is plenty. <laughs> What kind of a heel do you think I am? <laughs> now, Phil, mighty sweet of you, Jackson, to play Santa Claus for my two kids. Two kids? Yeah. Uh, see, seven fifty each. <laughs> nah, nah, I can't take. <laughs> I can't take any money at all for this. Tell you what, Phil, if you wanna, you can buy me a little something for Christmas. Like what? Anything that Alice can afford. <laughs> I don't care. Okay, but now look, Jackson, it's up to you to make the kids think that you're Santa. This impersonation is preposterous. Santa Claus won't like this. Besides, you'll never be able to fool the kids. Oh, I don't know. Well, wait a minute now, Jackson. It'd be awful if you don't. If there was only some kid we could try it out on just to see if Mr. we can... Hey, where are you? I've done something for you. Uh-oh, that's Judy. <laughs> Hey, everybody. That's Julius. That's just the kid we need. Come on in here, Julius. Right in here. We're in here. Now, look, if you can fool him, Jackson, you can fool any kid. Don't worry, Phil. I'll just sit in this chair and you watch his reaction when he sees me. Okay, Dad. I certainly hey, hope... Hey, Mr. Harris, I can all... Hey, Mr. Harris, don't you feel a little chilly? No, why? You left your red flannels lying on a chair. <laughs> I'm not red flannel. Don't you recognize me, Sonny? You look familiar. Well, I'll give you a hint. I'm that jolly old man with the white beard. Well, if it ain't Gabby Hayes. <laughs> Julius, he ain't Gabby Hayes. What's the matter with you? Don't you recognize Santa Claus when you see him? Is it Santa Claus? <laughs> <laughs> All right, son. I'm old Saint Nick. Gabby I can't Nick. Do Kids. In the name of humanity, I protest this Oh, shut up! <laughs> now sit in my lap and tell me what you want for Christmas, or I'll break every bone in your precious little body. <laughs> Gabby Hayes, Gabby Hayes. Get away from me, you imposter, you! You're nothing but a fake! I am not! A brown one. I thought so. Wait till I see the real senator. He ain't gonna like it when I tell him he's being impersonated by some bald-headed schmuck. There goes a cute little child. He has all the charm of live bait. I told you you can't feel kids. Oh, kids, kids, kids. You can't class him as a kid. He's a wise guy. Besides, he's older than my kids, and when the girls come down, they won't know the difference. Jackson looks old enough oh, to be... Oh, come on, come on, children. He's right in here. Well, there he is. Gee, 
Santa Claus. Hello, Santa. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas and hello again. This is Santa Claus talking. Come here, children, and tell me how you like old Santa. We like you fine, Santa. You're just like we pictured you. Yes, but, uh, Santa... What is it, my child? You look awfully old. Ho, ho, ho. I am, little girl. After all, I'm Santa Claus, and I live for hundreds and hundreds of years. How old are you? Thirty-nine. <laughs> Oh, Santa has to be going now. Here are your toys, girls. Thank you, Santa. Yeah, thanks. Well, I'll be seeing you next year. Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good night. Up, Dancer, up, Prancer, up, Donner, and Blitzen. Ho, ho, ho! Santa wins! A big ham. Well, children, what did you think of Santa Claus? I liked him, but I was a little disappointed. Why? I expected him to take out his violin and play Love and Blue. You mean you kids knew it was Mr. Benny? Sure. But we didn't want to say anything and hurt his feelings. Daddy, when is the real Santa coming? Well, uh... Well, you see, honey, he's... Well, he'll be here soon, kid. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Look, kids, he may get here too late. So I'll tell you what. I'll tell you a Christmas story, and then, and then you run off to bed, huh? Well, all right, Daddy. But we wanted so much to see him. I know you did, and maybe you'll see him next year. Now, look, sit on my lap, and I'll tell you a beautiful Christmas story. You ready? It was the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would... The... I thought I heard sleigh bells. No. The children were nestled all snug in their beds, while visions of sugar plums danced through their heads. Alice. Alice, what are those bells? What's that? Quiet, sir. talking to him. I don't see anybody. The kids do. Look at him. Gee, Santa, we knew you'd come. You couldn't fool us with any make-believe Santa Claus. We were waiting just for you. Oh, sure, we've been very good girls. Oh, what a lovely dollhouse. Thank you. And all these things are for me. Can I open them now? All right, Santa. We'll wait till morning. Thank you very much. And a Merry Christmas to you, too, Santa. Of course, we'll tell them. Merry Christmas, and goodbye, Santa Claus. 
Sure is nice looking old, yeah. Alice, did did you see him? I'm not sure, Phil. I I almost thought I saw him standing by the fireplace. But Alice. How could it be? If he was standing there by Phil, what are you staring at? The mantle. Alice. The milk. And cookies. They're gone. We'll be back in just a moment. But now, here's your Rexall family druggist, speaking as another stand-in for Santa Claus. Yes, friends, there are 10,000 such stand-ins for Santa this week. 10,000 independent Rexall druggists who are ready, willing, and able to take the rush and worry out of your last-minute Christmas shopping. You see, we've seen to it that our stores are filled with beautiful, distinctive, sure-to-please gifts. For the home, for the children, for the entire family. Gifts it's a pleasure to choose economical to buy. So look for the store with the orange and blue Rexall sign in the window. This week, it's headquarters for quick, easy, last-minute Christmas shopping. Merry Christmas to all from Rexall. Phyllis, Alice, look, children, uh, Santa said something to you, and you said, yes, we'll tell him. What did he say? He told us to be sure and wish you and Mommy a Merry Christmas. Now, wasn't that sweet of him? Now, girls, you're all tucked in. You've seen Santa, and you have everything you want. So go right to sleep. Good night. Good night. Good night, babies. Daddy. Yes, dear? Can I have a drink of water? Go to sleep. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Bill Harris. The Rexall Drug Company, Alice and I, and our entire cast want to thank you so much for listening to our show and wish you the best Christmas you've ever had. Merry Christmas, folks. And our grateful thanks to our pal, Jack Benny, for being with us. Thank you, Jackson. Good night, Christmas everybody. Christmas seals you buy once a year will help protect you from tuberculosis all the years. Use Christmas seals generously. This is Bill Foreman wishing good health to all from This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Your thoughtfulness. 
The makers of Hallmark greeting cards bring you the true and heartwarming story of a lonely young man's Christmas Eve in a small American town starring Frank Sinatra. For more than a third of a century, quality has been a habit with the makers of Hallmark cards. They are the kind of cards you can be proud to send, proud to receive. That's why, through the years, Hallmark cards have been America's favorite greeting cards. So if you want to send the very finest, look on the back for the three identifying words, a Hallmark card. These three words, a Hallmark card, are your assurance of finest quality. They tell your friends you cared enough to send the very best. And now, as usual, here is Richard Calmer well-known Broadway actor and producer to preside over tonight's Hallmark program, Mr. Calmer. Thank you, Tom Shelley, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Our guest tonight is a fairly successful and fortunate young man. He's one of the stars of the MGM Technicolor musical, Till the Clouds Roll By. He has his own radio show on CBS for old gold cigarettes every Wednesday night. He has a voice and a degree of personal charm that has made him the idol of a generation of Americans. And he has at his disposal this evening what I consider to be one of the very finest dramatic scripts that we've ever presented on the Hallmark program. Ladies and gentlemen, Frank Sinatra. Thanks, Dick. I say, I certainly agree with you about tonight's script. And as Crosby might say... Mr. Robert Sloan's sensitive and persuasive treatment of this Reader's Digest narrative is a veritable classic of dramaturgic felicity. (laughs) Well, how would you say it, Frank? Well, I I think I'd call it a happy story, and I'm glad it's a true one. I think it proves something pretty wonderful about the American people. There's a kind of warmth here, Dick, a spirit of friendly giving without thought of return that you don't quite find anywhere else. I'm kind of glad you invited me to be on the Hallmark program tonight, Dick, and I'm glad the story is the rich human report of an incident one Christmas Eve in Illinois. There was room for a stranger. sitting on a suitcase in a crowded railroad station, waiting for the gateman to announce his train. He was a Navy flyer just back from overseas, and he was having trouble finding a comfortable position for his leg, the one who was hurt in the crash. He was going to be operated on in two days at the Great Lakes Naval Hospital, but you'd never have known it to look at him. He was sitting there smiling like the happiest guy in the world, because it was December 24, 1943, and he was going to spend Christmas with his girl. Porter. Porter, you got these bags? Uh, uh, sorry, sir. I'm, uh, I'll take them. 61? That's us, isn't it, Porter? Yes, sir. That's us, all right. Uh, here, let me help you up, sir. No, no, I can... I can make it. There. Come on, let's get going. Yes, sir, yes. Oh, here, here now, don't pick up your bag, sir. That's what you got me for. <laughs> I didn't realize I had it. 
You sure is a powerful hurry to get aboard, sir. I hope you ain't going to make me run. I'm not running, am I? I, I just don't want to miss that train. Yes, sir. She must be uh, awful pretty, sir. Yeah, yeah, she is. I mean, gosh, is it that easy to tell it? I'm thinking about it. Yes, sir. <laughs> well, we we better get going. Yes, sir. Uh, excuse me, sir. Are you Lieutenant Scott, Lieutenant Joel Scott? Yes, that's right. Oh, I'm glad I found you. I have a telegram for you. Telegram? Uh, yes, sir. Will you uh, sign here, please? Oh, oh, sure, thanks. All right. Want me to go ahead, sir? Oh, no, wait a minute. I'd better read this first. It might be official and, you know... Oh, oh. It's from my commanding officer. It, uh, ain't bad, is it? Yeah, kind of. Look... Report to Great Lakes Naval Station noon, December 25th. Sorry, must cancel leave. December 25th? Uh, that's uh, tomorrow, sir. Yeah. He could have wished me a Merry Christmas. Cowcatcher stops at them all, don't it? Yeah, it looks that way. I generally take a sleeper on this run, but um, I couldn't get one this time. War, you know, kind of cuts in on a traveling man. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I was a gunnery sergeant in the last one, but uh, they wouldn't take me for this one somehow. They said I might just well be right on selling baby nipples. <laughs> oh? <laughs> yeah. You, uh... Going home for Christmas? No. I didn't think you were. I kind of got a glimpse of that telegram you were reading without meaning to, of course, but uh, you read it so many times, I couldn't help seeing that part about the hospital. Oh, that's all right. You don't have to apologize. No secret where I'm going. What's the matter, son? They're going to do something about your leg? I don't know what they're going to do. Lots of things, I guess. What difference does it make? Don't you care? Well, sure I care. I'm just a little browned off, that's all. I was figuring on spending Christmas with my girl. Oh. Haven't you seen her yet? No, not since I got back. Well, uh, where she live, I get around the country a lot. Maybe I could look her up and tell her that I... Oh, I couldn't ask you to do that. She she lives in Bellport. Illinois? Yeah. Well, that's not so far from here. It's only about an hour or so from Rockford Junction. That doesn't do me much good. Where's Rockford Junction? Well, it's just a couple of stations up the line. We get there about midnight. Mm, what if we do? Well, let me see now. If um, if you don't have to be at Great Lakes till noon, I think you can make it. Make what? Connections. All you have to do is get a train over to Bellport and be back in time to pick up the next local to Great Lakes. And I know there's one about 6 o'clock in the morning because I've been on it. Look, I don't know what you're talking about. Christmas is tomorrow. Yeah, but it's tonight too, son, after midnight. Now, if you can get over to Belfort and back, you might be able to spend a few hours with her. At 1 o'clock in the morning? Why not? I bet she'd be willing to see you any time, especially on Christmas morning. Hey, I'll, uh, I'll look it up on the schedule. She sure would be kind of nice. I could send her a telegram. Yes, and... sir. Here we are right here. Leave Rockford Junction at 1222. Arrive at Bellport at uh, 1.15 a.m. And you can get the 4.30 back to the main line. I can? Let me see that. Sure. It's right here, son. In black and white. 
You can have a little over four hours with her. If she meets you at the station. Oh, she'd do that, all right. The only thing is, I, I'll have to send her a telegram to the next Danville station. Danville Corners! Danville Corners! Gosh, I, I don't have much time to make up my mind, do I? I didn't know you had to make it up, son. Well, I don't, but... Say, conductor! Conductor! Yes, sir? Have I got time to stop off here and send a wire? Mm, you better hurry, son. We only stay here a minute. Well, can't you just... I mean... All right, all right. Put it down on a piece of paper, and I'll give it to the station master myself. Gee, thanks, conductor. Thanks a million. Junction. Here, let me help you with that grip, son. Oh, I'm, I'm all right. I, I don't need any help, thanks. Well, take care of yourself, Lieutenant. Merry Christmas. You bet. Merry Christmas to you, sir. Oh. So long, conductor. So long, son. station master. I just wanted to tell you we don't have any taxi cabs here at the junction, but if you need a lift with that bag, I'll be glad well, to. Well, thanks a lot, but you see, I'm not staying here tonight. I'm just waiting for the 1222 to Bellport. Pardon? The 1222 to Bellport. It'll be along any minute, won't it? Why? Are you expecting somebody on it, son? Oh, no. I'm going to take it myself. Going up to meet my girl. Ah. Oh. Haven't seen her for a long time, and, well, we'll be together for a couple of hours anyway. Say, it's a great night, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, only I was just wondering. I've never seen you around these parts before. How'd you know there was a 1222 to Bellport? Are you kidding? No, sir. Well, it says so right here on the timetable. Here, look. Well, that's a regular train, all right. But you know it's after midnight, son. Today's Christmas. What, what do you mean? Well, look down here in the fine print. You can see what it says. Uh, trains marked with a star... Will not run Thanksgiving Day or December 25th. Gee, it's cold, huh? Where are you taking me? Is, isn't there a phone in the station? No, not a pay phone. Let's go down to Woody's restaurant over here. It's at the end of the platform. Oh, if you get a chance, you ought to try some of that pumpkin pie Woody's got. His, his missus bakes it herself, and it's pretty... Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try it right after I make my phone call. Are you sure I can't get a cab or a bus or anything to Bellwood tonight? Uh, no, sir, not this late, but I'll tell you what you can do. What's that? Have your girl come down and meet you here. There's a train leaves Bellport 115, and that one is running tonight. Oh, gee, I don't know now. That'll be asking an awful lot. Well, it's up to you, son. Uh, uh, this is Woody's place right here. Oh, thank you. It's all right. Uh, I'm coming in with you for some of that pie. Hiya, Woody. All right. Got a young fella here who wants to use your phone. Yeah, sure. Right over here on the wall. On, on the wall? Yeah. I thought maybe you had one in the booth. In the booth? Oh, well, I guess it isn't that important. It's just that I'm going to be talking to my girl. Ah, shucks, son. We won't listen in, but 
Besides, I'm sure there's nothing you could say it wouldn't make decent hearing for other folks. Yeah, I, I guess so. <laughs> I have some of that pie, Woody. Yeah, you bet. Hello, uh, operator, will you get me Bellport 9613, please? Here you are, Harry. First baker's news. <sighs> Don't make so much noise. Uh, just a minute, operator. I'll, I'll have it for you in a second. Hey, here, here, you need some change? Oh, thanks. I'll pay you back as soon as I get the Take your time. Uh, hey, it's good pie, Woody. Hello? Hello, Susan? This is me, honey, Joel. Yeah, I'm over here at Rockford Junction. Did you get my wire? Oh, I'm all right. But listen, baby, this, this train to Bellport, it, it isn't running tonight. So I don't think I'll be able to see you. No, not unless you wanted to come over here. Well, there wouldn't be much to do, you know. We'd both be strangers in town and... Well, yes, sure. Yeah, there's a train for, from Bellport, all right. Uh, hold on a second, I'll find out when it leaves. Say, would, would you tell me when... Bellport at 1.15 gets here at 2.04. Thank you very much. Hello, Susan. Look, it leaves Bellport at 1.15. But you think it's all right for you to... Sure, sure I want to see you. More than anything in the world. No, it, it isn't that. It, I just can't talk very well here. The phone's on the wall and... You will? Gee, that's swell. All right, baby. Look, you bundle up warm now, and I'll meet you at the train. Yeah. And Sue, I don't care who's listening. I love you more than anything in the whole world. Sinatra will be back in just a moment with the second act of tonight's Hallmark drama from the pages of the Reader's Digest, America's favorite magazine. Now, here's Dick Calmer. There's something really new, really different in Christmas cards this year. The new Hallmark Gamebird cards designed especially for men. These cards feature 12 different illustrations of America's favorite game birds in their rich, natural color. Each is a faithful reproduction of one of Lynn Bogue Hunt's famous paintings, Game Birds of America. These new Hallmark Game Bird cards really talk a man's language. They're really Christmas cards to send to any man and for every man to send. Masculine as a briar pipe, friendly as a log fire, colorful as all outdoors. Yes, Dick, they're cards that really talk a man's language. But I would like to make a suggestion to all the wives in our audience. When you're shopping tomorrow... Take home one or more portfolios of Game Bird cards for your husband to send to his special friends. He'll think they're wonderful. Yes, for really new Christmas cards this year, ask your dealer for Hallmark Game Bird cards designed especially for men. Hallmark cards are sold in America's finest shops and stores. Now, back to Frank Sinatra and tonight's Hallmark drama. <laughs> before the 115 from Bellport pulled into Rockford Junction, Lieutenant Joel Scott was standing on the station platform watching for the beam of light that would tell him his sweetheart's train was arriving. It wasn't exactly the warmest night of the year, 
But when that light shone down on the tracks, it felt as if somebody had just built a fire under Joel's heart. And when the train ground to a stop and a young lady alighted from the car before the last, he really knew it was Christmas. Sue! Over here, baby. I'm over here. No, don't run, darling. I'll come to you. Oh, Joel. Oh, darling, it's so good to see you. So awfully good. Well, gee, don't cry about it, honey. You'll make me blubber in a moment. All right, I, I won't cry. I, I didn't when you left, and I'm not going to now. That's a good girl. Just that you look so different, darling. I wasn't used to seeing you this way. Well, let's not think about things like that now. It's Christmas, baby. And we're spending it together, part of it anyway. Oh, the best part. You bet. Gosh, I never thought we'd make it. When do you have to leave, Joe? 6.30. 6.31, to be exact. But that's four hours from now. And we're going to make those four hours seem like a lifetime. Sure we are. Oh, darling, there's so much to talk about. Where we start, where we go. Well, uh, I don't know. This town's dead in the doornail after 10 o'clock. Do you see any lights on anywhere? Not on this side. Just street lights. That's all there is on the other side, too. See, I was hoping there might be a dance or something going on, but it certainly doesn't look like it. Oh, I don't care about dancing. Not tonight. I just want to be with you. Well, we can't just stand out here in the cold. We've got to find a place to sit down. Oh, yeah, sure. Oh, what about the station? Locked up for the night. Oh. The whole town's locked up, as far as I can see. I guess we'll have to go back to that broken-down restaurant where I made the call. Oh, all right. Well, it's not much, sweetie, but it's about the only place we can keep warm. Do you mind? Oh, of course not. Gee, I'm sorry, darling. I I really should have realized what we were up against before I asked you to come all the way down here. Now, don't be silly. I want to go to the restaurant. I'm hungry. You are? Why, sure. Come on. Okay. It's right down here at the end of the... Uh-oh. What's the matter? Look, the lights are out. Now, that place is closed, too. Right, mister? Joe, look out. You'll get run over. Wow. That guy was really gone. Oh, yes. Oh, they all seem to be going like that on this road. Darling, don't you think we ought to go back to the station instead of trying to hitch a ride? Nobody will stop for us at this time of night. Well, we've got to find a place to eat, honey. You must be nearly starved by now. Oh, no, I just said that. I'm not really hungry. Well, I am. Hungry and... Hungry and tired and fed up with this tank town. I never should have brought you down here. Joe. I'm sorry, honey. I don't mean to be such a rotten sport, but... I wanted everything to be so right for us tonight. And it's all gone just the opposite way. It's still Christmas, Joel. Is it? It doesn't feel like Christmas anymore. Oh, now, don't say that, darling. Well, it doesn't. Not in this godforsaken town. I'll bet you Santa Claus stays away from this place, like that train with a star on it. Oh, Joel, there's a car coming. Some Christmas. Can't even find a place to sit down. Darling, darling, there's a car coming. Oh, let it come. I'm not in the way. Darling, he's slowing down. Oh, maybe he'll stop for us. 
Say that. Uh, ride, mister? Give us a ride? Sure thing, son. Where are you headed? Oh, just down the way a little bit. We're looking for a diner so we could get something to eat. Well, hop in. I'll get you to a diner. Swell. Come on, Sue. All right, dear. Here, let me put that suitcase in back, son. Thanks a lot. Say, aren't you the man that I... Yeah, that's right, son. Hey, station master. Well, we sure are glad you came along. Say, this is my girl, Harry. Yeah, pleased to meet you. How'd you do? I reckon you must think Rockford Junction just about the worst place in the world to come to, ma'am. Oh, I wouldn't say that. Well, it is. Middle of the night. Especially for a stranger. Say, uh, what are you doing, Harry? Turning around. What for? Isn't there a diner in the direction you were going? No. Oh, well, we didn't mean to take you out of your way. All right, I've got plenty of time. Well, look, uh, I don't get it. There's a diner right down there, Harry. I can see the light. Oh, that, that place is closed. What's the light, son? Oh, I didn't see any light. Well, I did. Hey, what's the idea of turning off the main road? Where are you taking us? To a diner. Isn't that where you want to go? Sure, but you'll never find one on a dirt road. Oh, you know I won't. Don't ask so many questions, son. I'm taking a shortcut. Joel, it's so dark on this road. Now, don't be afraid, ma'am. Nothing's going to happen to you. You can say that again, because you're going to pull up right here and let us out. Now, keep your seat, son. Uh-uh. I ain't going to do anything of the kind. Now, wait a minute. Sit down, I said. I'll let you out when I'm good and ready. All right. You can get out right here. Right where? I thought you said you were taking us to a diner. Changed my mind. Brought you up to this place instead. You can get a meal in here. In where? Right in this house. Come on. There isn't much time. Joel, do you think we'll... Come on, come on. You won't have to stay if you don't like the place. <laughs> I just thought you might enjoy this better than going to a diner. After all, it's uh, Christmas. Oh, but there aren't any lights on in this house. Sure there are. Just looks that way because the shades are down. <laughs> <laughs> There's plenty of light. Well, I, I guess it's all right. Come on, Sue. That's it. Harry, you got him with you? Yeah, sure have, Woody. I wouldn't let him get away for all the money in the world, not this time. Say, what's the big idea? Merry Christmas, yeah, Lieutenant. Merry Christmas. You too, ma'am. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Thank you. Thank you very much. Joe, I, I don't understand. Neither do I, darling. Say, what is this, a party? Sure is, young fella. Party for you and your girl. What? Huh? Yeah, we didn't have much time to get ready, but Woody and I brought some stuff over from the restaurant, so I know we'll all have plenty to eat. I'll say, got two pies and a turkey. Yeah. Oh, gosh, I... That's all right, son. You don't have to say nothing. Just have a good time. Sure, have a good time. Goodness knows we almost lost you when that fool husband of mine closed up the restaurant. <laughs> I had to close it, Martha. I was too busy getting things ready. Well, don't matter now anyways. Harry saved the day for us, so let's not argue about yeah, it. I should say not. Come on, let's get some of that. Come on, come on in the living room, son. Make yourself at home. Come on, uh, Sue. <laughs> this is your party, and... We know you want to be alone, so we ain't going to bother you none. Darling, look. The whole room's decorated. Gosh. Oh. A Christmas tree and everything. Well, uh, the folks in town kind of thought you might like a place to celebrate, so we fixed up this one for you. Now go ahead and have a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. 
time, is it, Joe? Oh, don't worry about the time. Don't worry about anything. Harry said he'd let me know when I had to leave for the train. Well, it must be soon now. Oh, do you want to play another record on the Victrola? Dance, Joe? No, let's just sit here and take it easy. I love you, darling. <laughs> just like that? Just like that. And this. Oh, what's that, darling? Who's singing? Early morning carolers, I guess. She wears all the comforts of home. Yes, I know. We didn't miss a thing, did we? No, darling. These people thought of everything. Even the presents under the tree. Oh, did, did you see this one? To the officer and his bride-to-be. They didn't even know our names. Time to go, Joe. All right, Harry, just another minute. I, I want to say goodbye. Sure thing. Darling, can't I go down to the station with you? No, no, I... I want you to stay here, too. Just let me hold your hand for a minute and... let me say Merry Christmas the way I want and the best Christmas I ever knew. Thank you, Frank Sinatra, for a wonderful performance. Ladies, your Hallmark dear has a Christmas present for you. It's the new Hallmark date book to help you remember all your important dates. If you've had one of these handy reminders in other years, you know how helpful a date book is in keeping your social life well organized. It never lets you forget the anniversaries, birthdays, and all the other dates that are so important to remember. Its 32 pages offer plenty of space for listing all of your relatives and friends and their important days, as well as your full Christmas card list. It has space, too, to jot down your own social engagements, 
and also dates you particularly want to remember. It sounds like a great big book, but surprisingly, it's small enough to fit neatly into your purse. You'll want to carry your date book with you all the time, so don't wait. Get your free Hallmark date book tomorrow. Just ask your Hallmark dealer for his gift to you. The 1947 Hallmark date book. Hallmark cards are sold at America's finest shops and stores. Stop in tomorrow and ask for your free 1947 Hallmark date book. Yes, it's free. It's your Hallmark dealer's gift especially for you. You're cordially invited to be with us again next week at the same time for another fine dramatic program brought to you by the makers of Hallmark Reading Cards, America's favorite reading cards. If you enjoyed tonight's show, won't you please tell your friends about it and ask them also to tune in for next week's Hallmark program. At that time, you will hear the great and true story of an empire-building doctor who opened the American West for colonization. Our star will be that fine actor of the American stage and the American screen, Walter Abel. <laughs>